Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics and pop culture podcast coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. Today, for more than two hours and 15 minutes, Graham McMillan and I break open the comic book bag for some old-school tricks and treats, including Star Trek comics, the original Transformers series from Marvel, Justice League Detroit, Secret Wars, Harvey Kurtzman and Bob Haney, as well as more contemporary material like Captain America the Winter Soldier, Gotham, and the announcement of the upcoming Marvel movie Slate. Semi-harried show notes are now available at waitwhatpodcast.com. We welcome your comments and questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com, and we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. Uh, Graham? I was just waiting to see how long it would take you. son <laughs> of a... Oh... What an oh. asshole maneuver. Uh, By which I, I mean, hello. Hi. Uh, <laughs> I, I have to tell you, I was so tempted to start this week's episode off by going from This American Life and WBEC in Chicago. This is Serial. Have you been listening to Serial? I No, of course not. Oh, Jeff, you have to listen to Serial. You'll get, you'll get as addicted as I am. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so tell me more about it. Uh, have you heard anything about it or not? Uh, not until I think you mentioned it on uh, Twitter, maybe. Uh, so it is the long-form spin-off of This American Life. Mm-hmm. It is a podcast that tells one story over the course of multiple episodes. I think it's going to be 13 episodes in the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and that story this season is a reinvestigation into a murder case that happened 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the reporter... Be- it starts by believing that the man in jail did not do it. Mm-hmm. And as she investigates, mm-hmm. she becomes less sure that he didn't. Mm. But not also not entirely sure that he did either. Right. Like right. it's it's very murky. It's now on episode six, I think, or maybe seven. Um, And she, yeah, it's at the point now where like I'm fairly sure he didn't actually do it. Mm-hmm. But... I'm not sure I could say 100% that he didn't. Right. And it, and it's very focused on on that. It's very focused on the how do we know? Mm-hmm. How, how does anyone know? Uh, and is it a failure of the system that not knowing for sure means he still goes to jail? Or is not being sure but thinking that he did still enough to put him in jail? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Hmm. And it's it's just and it's fascinating. The way they're doing it is really, really, really good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I'm a big fan. Each episode runs about half an hour. Ah, I see. And it's updated what weekly? I assume, weekly, I suppose, yeah, yeah, it's a weekly show. Now, is it updated in real time in that sense? I, you yes. know what I mean, or is it? It's updated real time insofar as they, for example, we're recording this on Thursday, October thirtieth, mm-hmm. uh, and a new episode came out today. Mm-hmm. And that will have been finished, like at some point this week. Uh, uh, yeah. So it's it's not like they it's not like they have all of the episodes finished already. Oh, I see. She, okay, they're, for is... example, they're probably still working on the writing of the next episode. I see. Okay. Okay. So there's a little bit of lead time, but okay, it's good to know that it's not totally a. Uh, it's not all in the can, so to speak. No, not at all. And in fact, there was even an interview with uh, a couple of people working on it a while back, and they said. The interview said, so how does it finish? And they were up front going, 
we're maybe 60% sure we know how it finishes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which uh, seems both terrifying for them, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, because at this point, it's a thing. Do you know what I mean? Like, people are really excited about it, and a lot of people are paying attention. And I think that if they don't fail to stick the landing, or rather if they do fail to stick the landing, um, people will be really upset in a weird way. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I, it yeah, does it's... seem like perhaps in a way they have almost sort of hedged their bets, whether or not they intended to or not, because it seems to me once you have a story about something that is ambiguous as justice without it without an outright confession you know what i mean like you can probably you probably have a little bit more wiggle room i would think in a way depending on on how you choose to wrap it up oh yeah yeah i I think they can get away without having a a very particular you know Mm -hmm. so that's the end of the murder we've solved it right but but one of the appeals of the show is the idea that you're solving this case Mm mm-hmm that you as a listener are part of the, the investigation in some way. I mean, you're not. You're not. For example, at one point, they um, look at the the explanation of what the one person, the one witness who has the relatively damning evidence mm-hmm. at a timeline of like, this is where we were, and then we were here, and then we were here. And so they reconstruct, they did the, the trip themselves mm-hmm. to see whether it was even still possible. Like, whether you can get from point A to point B in that amount of time. Uh, and, you know, the listeners are not doing that. That's all the people making the show. But there is a sense of, like, you're you're very much engaged in the in, in retrying the case in your head. Right. Well, that sounds that sounds pretty fascinating, I have to say. Yeah, it, I, I'm loving it. Loving it. <laughs> now, how much podcastery slash radio shows do you listen to? Uh, in an average week, um, a bunch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it depends what I'm doing. I tend to listen to podcasts, uh, and I listen to like even the radio shows I listen to as podcasts. If that makes sense, I very very rarely listen to live radio. Right. Um, and I tend to listen when I'm doing other things. So when I'm doing laundry, when I'm uh, cleaning the kitchen, when I'm walking somewhere or, or, or something like that, I'll tend to do it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I would say on average, I listen to three to four hours. Three three to four hours a week? Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> AKA one of our podcasts. So <laughs> Yes, pretty much. <laughs> I, I listen to, uh, like realistically, I listen to maybe like two of our podcasts a week. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In terms of time, right? Uh, but that can that can vary wildly. Of course, there, there are weeks where I I don't listen to anything, and there are weeks where I, you know, I'm just I have a lot to do, so I'm like, okay, so I'll listen to blah 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 and blah blah. Uh, to give you an idea, this week I have listened to uh, the Rachel Miles podcasts, uh, half of the new serial, mm-hmm. um, Thrilling Adventure Hour, and uh, a couple of Let's Talk comics. Jim Biscardi's thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I listened to the Valiant episode. He did one with Warren Simons, and he did a, one with Tom Brevor that I really enjoyed. I actually really enjoyed the Tom Brevor one. Oh yeah, tell me about that. Uh, it was it, the format of the show is essentially how did you get into comics in the first place? Like as a kid, what was mm-hmm. your experience with it? And then how did that translate into you working in comics? Mm-hmm. So it's 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 Tom Brevor talking about discovering comics as a six year old. Mm-hmm. And then how that 
continue how his love for that and how his interest in, in the medium continued through his becoming an editor at Marvel. Mm. Uh, and it's just it's something I really like in interviews are is a sort of freewheeling nature. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. it's not like you know here's a question you've answered here's a question you've answered <laughs> here's a question. Uh, and Brevo's actually really charming. Mm-hmm. For all that he can be a dick online, he's actually a very charming person to listen to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it, it's a very you know it's a, it's a, an easy conversation to go through. And I'm like I share enough uh, common interests with him as a reader. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense, where it's like, of course, sure, I, I completely agree. Well, it's, it's interesting to me that he talks about being just hating Marvel as a kid. Oh, interesting. Yeah, like, you know, I think he's a, he's a DC kid and, and hating Marvel, but he he mentions a couple of Marvel comics in particular that he read when he was a kid that just turned him off entirely. Mm-hmm. And one of them is Engelhart and Frank Robbins' Captain America and the Falcon. Oh, wow! Yeah, he read one of the issues of that. And he basically says, like, I was, you know, six years old or whatever. I just didn't get what Englehart was doing. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I just did not understand. And then he's like, and, and Frank Robbins' art is not good for a six-year-old. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's too scratchy. It's not attractive. Right. And, it's he, you know, he's totally right. And I remembered, you know, I saw some of those comics when I was a kid as well. I Probably not six. Mm-hmm. But I remember having the the very clear thought of, like, this comic looks funny. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, so hearing that story, I was like, oh, of course. Of course you think <laughs> that, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he talks about, you know, his true love was um, the Julie Schwartz DC books in particular. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm really I, – I went – I said this on the, the website. I went to like a, a – like there's like something called the Frankenstein comic swap here in Portland, mm-hmm. which is this irregular thing. And it's basically dealers and – Fans set up tables and sell comics for cheap. Oh man, like, that is awesome! Cheap. Wow. Um, How often does that meet? I actually thought it was a one-off. The first one was earlier on this year, and then there's one this weekend. I'm guessing it's going to be every six months or maybe a couple of year irregularly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mean, I went this week and I spent less than twenty dollars, mm-hmm. maybe fourteen, fifteen dollars, and came away with thirty-five, forty comics. Oh my god. And the majority of them were old Supermans, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is my thing now. Like, I'm just like, what's that? A Julie Schwartz edited issue of Superman? Sure. Because how bad can it be? And the answer is, it can never be that bad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Even when it's not that good, it's still kind of great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? And there, it's it's very much comfort food in terms of comics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because, well, first of all, you pretty much... Unless you're like really early mid eighties, when they're like, "We're doing continuing stories now," you pretty much get a, continu- a complete story in an issue. Sure. And they are very much of the here is a problem. How can anyone fix this? Not even Superman can fix this. Here is how Superman outwitted the problem, and it's always outwitted. Mm-hmm. Oh like, yeah, he has these amazing powers, but he's always outthought the problem. Yes. Um, and I find that I find everything about that really charming in a way that I didn't when I was a kid. Oh yeah. yeah when I was yeah. a kid, I was like, "What the fuck? No, <laughs> like, this this is boring." Whereas now I'm like, "Look at this! This is intricate and beautiful." But as a kid, it was it was very much like Kurt Swan's drawings boring, Carrie Page writing is boring. This is terrible. <laughs> Why can't people have like you know melodramatic soap opera angst and then frown at things? Yes. Yeah. Well, you know, actually, I feel like. To me, there's a weird period in the 70s where I, I was also turned off 
generally buy that stuff and have gone back and kind of appreciated it. But, and this may sound completely wrong. Part of it could be the fact that Kurt Swan's drawing it and is doing it, has been doing it for such a long time. But, and also it's in the middle of, you know, it's the seventies. Like, although the stories aren't as, are, are not at all, uh, Bathetic, the way that Marvel's comics were at the time, they they are kind of oddly joyless. You know what I mean? Like it's to me, like well, maybe that, like some they, of the are, they totally are when you're a kid, and then mm-hmm. when you read them now, they're weirdly joyful. Sure, because there's the there's the playfulness in the thinking behind them that you recognize. But of mm-hmm. course, when you're a kid and you're sort of taking things literally, like it really would not have hurt uh, Kurt Swan to kind of have characters smile a little bit more. Like I was really struck when even the, even though half the stories are, you know, Lois Lane, Herodin, um, you know, Kurt uh, Schaffenberger's stuff is so like, there's people smiling and laughing and there's like a, a range of emotional expressiveness. Like Kurt Swan's work really just seems like he was surrounded by unhappy Italian men. Oh, Jack, you have, to re- you have to revisit the shit then because that's totally not true. Okay. And I, I, here's the thing. I can totally see why you'd think that because mm-hmm. I remember as a kid thinking everything was really staid and everything was really uh, gray and weighed down and emotionless. Mm-hmm. But when you look back at it now, mm-hmm. like Kurt Swan, Kurt, first of all, the comics are fucking full of people smiling and Kurt Swan's just the greatest people laughing in comics. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, but also, like there, there really is a, a, an odd playfulness to Kurt Swan's art, mm-hmm. but it's, it's utterly undynamic in a way that, like if you're raised on Marvel comics. Right. And I think, you know, both of us were to an extent. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very much so. Kurt Swan's art is, is like the, is the antithesis of that. Yeah. Kurt, Kurt Swan's art is, is ugly compared with what you're used to. Well, you know, see, this is the thing that I think is interesting is the older I've gotten, the more I find that Kurt Swan's work is, it's beautiful. I mean, to me, it's really gorgeous, but it, it, but, but yet I'm still like – because when she said the the laughing thing, I like totally had a shot of like, oh, no, it's weird. I can – I remember what it's like to see Perry White laughing or Clark Kent laughing or Steve Lombard laughing. Um, but at the same time, I also have that weird like, yeah, but nobody was really happy, Graham. This <laughs> yeah, may just, just be I, where I, I'm, I, I'm at I think, in my life. I think it's your memory. I think your yeah. memory is tricking you because – the stories are full. Here's the thing. Superman is having fun in all of those stories. Mm-hmm. Because in, here's – they're so repetitive mm-hmm. in like – so I got – how many Supermans did I get? That was one, two, three. 16 Superman issues I got. Wow. Right? Mm-hmm. I would say in at least eight of them. Mm-hmm. There is a scene where Superman is getting shot and laughing. <laughs> because that just happens all the time. Right. You know, Superman has been around forever. Mm-hmm. And everyone's still like, hey, maybe I'll shoot up this time and it'll work. And every single time people are like, ha, 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 you fucking <laughs> idiots. You're wasting your time shooting me. I'm fucking bulletproof. <laughs> I'm having the best time. Just keep shooting me. Whatever. Fuck you guys. 
yeah, there's it's so you always get like Superman is having a weird amount of fun. Mm. Um, but the thing about Superman, especially in this period, so like we're talking late seventies, early eighties that I've been buying. Mm-hmm. Um, Superman is having fun. And Superman will be slightly concerned, but there's no, like, he doesn't really go beyond that. He has a very limited emotional window. Yeah. yeah <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, He's no, like, no, no, totally, oh, totally. oh, oh, maybe, you know, th- this might complicate my day. Well, that's it. Oh. Maybe, maybe it's just he, cause Swan does draw concerned looking people like nobody's fucking business that maybe that's just what stuck with me, you know? It's, I, I really would recommend that you track some, and here's the thing, when you pay so little for them, as well I mean really when you pay 25 cents for a comic yeah you're pretty much like if this makes me smile once I've got my money's worth sure sure yeah. do you know what I mean yeah yeah and so the real the real is a sense of uh, my buy-in is so low in this mm-hmm. and I get so much joy out of them, out of them this is the greatest thing mm-hmm. but it, I mean it was, a, it was a great sale do you know what else I got Jeff <sighs> Raving the Bolds with Bob Haney right really oh. yes Ooh. again 75 cents an issue ow Ow. I know, right? Oh. What'd you get? Yeah, it, it, uh, I, I, I picked up five of them and only three of them have Haney writing. I actually got the last Haney issue without realizing it was the last Haney issue. Oh, really? Which is Batman and Commandy. Yes. Oh, man. Uh, take a trip into the unbelievable as Commandy comes from the far future to our time on a murderous mission. <laughs> you Bet your ass he does. That's right. Um, so it's, yeah, Batman and Atom, Batman and Metamorpho, Batman and Commandy, and then the two non-Haneys, but still Jim Aparo, is Batman and Superman and Batman and Atom Strange. Mm. Uh, and there's actually a note in the last Haney issue that's like, we've been in a great rut recently, but we're shaking things up by getting rid of the writer. Oh, and they actually geez. say, like, it's a very enjoyable rut. They actually call it a rut, but play it as a good thing, which is my favorite thing. Wow. They're Ouch. like, this rut's been fucking great but you know <laughs> even a fun rut to rut you guys let's let's shake things up oh man oh um, man how painful so yeah i got those i got history of the dc universe mm-hmm. the the uh wolfman perez stuff yeah the prestige format stuff yeah the prestige format stuff mm-hmm. i got and i wrote about this in the blog the the first four issues of the justice league detroit yes which are really good, Jeff. Yeah, your write-up on and that I, was pretty great. I did great. not expect that. Mm-hmm. I, expect, I expect it to go and be like, this will give me a nostalgic charge. Like, mm-hmm. I, I didn't even read those issues as a kid, but like those characters. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll get a nostalgic charge. And instead I came away going like, how did you fuck that up? Yeah. Like, that's a really good start for, for a series. You know, because I, I feel like uh, when reading your column, I was like, I think they had, didn't they have like the first of the Justice League Detroit like available on Comixology or something like that? Cause I, I know. Wanna, I want to say they might have uh, JLA Annual 2, which is like the very first one. Okay, right. The... Which has the hilarious Aquaman dis, uh, disbands the team mm, and mm-hmm. everyone else is behind them going, can he do this? <laughs> and Satana says something hilarious like, well, of course he can, because he's a founding member, and that's in the charter that any founding member can uh, disband the team, and no one else can do anything about it. <laughs> Which is such a, a, like, not just a superior thing, but like a DC superior thing. Mm-hmm. The charter says this, and even though it makes no sense, what can you do? Well, you know... Because, first of all, we wrote up a charter in the first place. Exactly. I've got to stick to those rules. Well, I, I, I have to say, there is one thing that reading... 
250 plus issues of the Avengers has schooled me in is like a superhero teams have no idea how parliamentary procedure works and B yeah, there, there's some wicked fucking rules in there, you know, cause it is just, just insanity. Um, anyway, I read, I think I read that, you know, prologue issue and I remember thinking that it, 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 just a, like two years ago because I got it in a sale or something and I was like man this is really good and Jeff, oh my god they've got a bunch of it Jeff they've uh, got the annual and then they've got the four issues I just bought mm-hmm. and then they've got uh, the three part that follows it the uh, Maslow three part that comes afterwards hmm. Hmm. in comicsology huh well I so uh yeah sorry you were saying you read it and you you actually were like this is good yeah this is good and also between that and reading some of the fire uh storm stuff uh again digitally and also based on you saying like kind of uh like jerry conway was on fire when it came to coming up with killer concepts and solid first issues, and then watching everything just go down in the toilet afterwards. It's, it's kind of amazing. Because Secret it, uh, Society of Supervillains is his as well. Yeah. And no, Jerry Conway, as an idea man, mm-hmm. was kind of great. Yeah, particularly particularly during that period of DC uh, in the seven, in the I say 70s, but I think both Justice League Detroit and Firestorm Just like Detroit was early 80s. And yeah, Firestorm yeah. was... was no, I want to say Firestorm was like 78 or something. Mm, Firestorm was a while before. Because Firestorm then joined the proper Justice League with, with Superman and everything for years. Huh. Okay. Like for, for, for years and years. Uh, I, Firestorm I, debuted in 78. I was right. Oh, March 1978. Okay. Right, right, right. So, yeah, there is kind of a broad period of, of time. Come to think of it, that secret society is even earlier than that. So yeah, he's just he's coming up with some some amazing stuff for DC, but then he just never he doesn't see it through, or the people who come after it just aren't paying attention, or it well, really does seem to fall apart. I was actually reading, uh, you know, the Tomorrow Magazine's back issue mm-hmm. magazine. Uh, they have a they had a feature on the Justice League Detroit. Mm-hmm. That after I read this, I was like, I'm reading that. I am totally in Justice League Detroitville. Right. Um, and one of the things that happens is Andy Helfer is in there who's edited the sort of last half of the Justice League Detroit run. Uh-huh. And he pretty much is, goes, this isn't the first time that Jerry Conway just utterly fucked me on a book. Really? He's like, yeah, he, he, apparently on Atari Force as well. Two times, he just left in the middle of a, a storyline. Wow. He's just like, yeah, I'm done. <laughs> I just like walked off the book. Jesus. And he was like, yeah, he did it twice. Wow. And I wonder if it is just, just Jerry Conway keeps going and then like, yeah, yeah, you know what, guys? I, I got nothing else. And just leaves. <laughs> and it could be that Jerry Conway is very interested in like, I'm launching something. And then has absolutely no interest in the follow through. Yeah, Jerry Conway is the Warren Ellis of the 70s and 80s. Oh, man. I can't tell if that's an insult to Ellis or a compliment to Conway or both. Well, kind of, well I mean, I don't. Uh, let's put it this way. I'm definitely at the point where I don't... I really just... have to do... Put it this way. It's not a compliment to Kai Conway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I suppose it might skew a little bit closer to that. No, I, I think I'm actually sort of... A few years ago, I think it would have been like kind of a, sl- a bitchy slam at both of them. Now I'm just kind of thinking of like, yeah, there are things that guys can do, like strengths that people have, and and, and then things that they don't necessarily, you know, and as much as I enjoy Jerry Conway's, um, 
you know, 30 or so issues uh, on Amazing Spider-Man, there's, it does wrap up like sloppily and he does more or less just kind of walk away and Archie Goodwin has to step in and be like, Oh, let me explain everything that just happened. And the letter columns are like, let let me try and, you know, fix this. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It takes like one, one incontinuity story and a lot of, um, you know, clever uh fancy footwork in like three letter columns afterwards to kind of uh to kind of cover up for how it how it closed up but but great stuff too at the same time you know well something that's fascinating is so i've actually also got the print version of justice league annual 2 which is Mm -hmm. where he introduces all the characters and the letter column at the back is the editor at the time alan gold basically being like okay you guys calm down (laughs) i i know we've just completely changed the book but it's okay Mm-hmm. And one of the things he says is, um, we haven't dismantled the JLA, but we have put most of the characters on standby. That means you won't be seeing all the big ones predictably every issue, but you'll surely see some of them in just about every issue. Mm-hmm. The Just League will not be a collection of inept greenhorns tripping all of themselves. There'll be plenty of superheroics. And that's a plan that just doesn't come to fruition mm-hmm. at all. Because mm-hmm. the, the, the big ones are are written out Mm-hmm. Pretty much with that issue until Batman comes back at, at two fifty, which is like a year later. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, Aquaman, who is, I guess, the biggest character on the team, yes, gets written out within six months. Mm. Does Martian Manhunter pump up at some point pre two fifty? Yeah, he. Oh, he's he's actually there from the beginning. Oh, okay. Martian okay. Manhunter reappears uh, in two two eight. Which is so the new Justice League appears in the regular title at two three three, and Martian Manhunter reappears at two two eight, and it's kind of his fault that the Justice League disbands after that. Mm, okay, because uh, he brings back all the Martians, and then they have a big fight, and then Aquaman's like, "Why didn't Superman show up? Fuck you guys! We're splitting up the team." Which you know is my favorite, completely illogical reason to do anything. <laughs> uh, that's actually his reason. Seriously, his reason is. All of the Justice League couldn't get get their acts together to defend Earth from the Martians invading. Mm-hmm. Therefore, I'm splitting up the Justice League. Yeah, you know it. It has a certain fit of peak to it, but I'm like, yeah. Now, so, now that I'm old yeah, and you better, I'm like, you go, Aquaman. You know, if people aren't going to show up for fucking band practice, like fucking break up the band. Like, you know, you don't have time for this shit. You know, you're the guy who's like putting out all the fucking hors d'oeuvres and nobody even shows up. Fuck them. <laughs> I'm I'm way too behind that. Uh, see, here's the thing. You should now definitely read these comics, especially when Aquaman is actively a dick in these issues, <laughs> which I adore. There's so many character bits that are set up in these issues mm-hmm. that I really genuinely love that just don't get paid off. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you Aquaman that mind, control mind controls steel. Right. Uh, And is confronted by, I want to say Zatanna and maybe uh, Martian Manhunter Mm -hmm. and Elongated Man at various points of the run being like, you're being a fucking dick. You have to unclench. Um, You've got vibe with this disappearing accent, which really, like that and Black Lightning's secret identity are like my two two of my favorite things Mm -hmm. in DC mythology ever. Yeah. I love the idea that in both cases, they're superheroic identity is playing into the ethnic stereotype. Right. It, it really is a stroke of genius. The Black Lightning thing where he's like, I'm an educated teacher, but to make them 
kick them off the sands. I'm going to put on an Afro wig and talk jive. It's the greatest. <laughs> it's so funny. I adore that. And, and so vibed putting on an accent. Yes. That all the characters and then like, he dropped his accent at some point during the run. It's hilarious. But again, there's no payoff to it. Mm-hmm. It's like almost like I've got some great ideas, right. and then it's like, ah, why don't they fight Despero? I don't know. <laughs> what should they do? Our oh, command should leave. Oh, oh, here's Crisis and Infinite Earths. Okay then. Oh, fine. <laughs> Bye, you guys. <laughs> Conway out. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> What's that? I've set up a cliffhanger that only I know the ending to. I'm done. Okay. See you guys. Got a Conan movie to ruin. Ta-da! Hey, J. Mark DeMatteis, why don't you come in at the height of your hippie powers and try and wrap up the book? Jesus. Jam DeMatteis, that guy, ah, it's beautiful. You know, there's always, there's, there's always that guy, the Mr. like inappropriate back rub guy, and that's kind of Jam DeMatteis, I think. Oh, I, I, I have, I am very firmly on record about my love of, uh, Justice League Detroit. Mm-hmm. Jam DeMatteis' final issues of that book are astounding uh, because he's literally like okay I've got to finish off the book I've got a great idea I'll just randomly kill people mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it, yeah it's it's amazing like Vibe is killed by he's killed by a robot but he's killed not by the robot doing anything special he's killed by the robot bumping into him on the street and then strangling him to death <laughs> I shit you not Jeff that's how he dies <laughs> what yes that's how Vibe dies. <laughs> that's that's so sad and insane. It's terrible, right? Oh my god! That, that's literally the I don't give a shit about this book or its readers or its characters. Movie. Well, or I mean, that's the thing. It's like, really not Jeff. Part, part of what makes Jam Dematius work slash not work is to me the way that he's kind of like. He's following his ideological calling. You know what I mean? So if his whole thing is, is like, yeah, I kind of want to do like a book, um, you know, like wrap up a superhero title that really was about the meaninglessness of death, you know, and having people try to come to terms with that. I could see him deciding to do that, whether it was appropriate or not. I mean, there's stuff in the Defenders, which on the one hand is kind of a weirdly great extension of stuff of the defender's strangeness and at the same time also kind of a weirdly like a weird repudiation of it you know and some of his actually that's a great thing the just league detroit Mm -hmm. way it ends is very much an extension of the defenders Mm -hmm. of of dematius defenders interesting uh in in i suppose in good ways and bad but really i mean bad yeah 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 you know, I mean, Dematius is a guy, considering how much we love Englehart, it's fascinating how much Dematius is kind of like the bizarro Steve Englehart in some ways. You know, he's got it, his... Yeah, you know what's hilarious as well? So he's still writing. Mm-hmm. Yes. And he's still writing for DC. Yeah, DC. And he's still writing Spectre Justice League books. Because he, he write he, uh, one of the comps I got this week was Justice League Dark Annual 2, written by J. Mark Dematius. Wow, see? Right. And... It's kind of amazing how he has simultaneously adapted to contemporary comics in terms of format and completely failed to adapt in any other way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The the uh, Justice League Dark Annual 2 is staggeringly generic. Mm-hmm. And yet you feel that somewhere, 
Dematis is like, I've made such a fucking point about life. Because <laughs> I, I always got that feeling with him when he, right. apart from when he was going like, I'm, you know, I'm writing in comedy mode. Right. You know, I've scripted Just League, so now I'm, I'm the funny guy, so I'm going to write Mr. Miracle, and it's going right. to be my funny book. Or, you know, here's Dr. Fate, it's going to be my funny book. When he tries to write series, he always has this weird tone of like, you guys, I've, you know, I've gotten high a couple of times. I'm going to tell you some stuff about life. Oh, yeah. 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 Def- definitely uh, on the comic book time traveling jaunt is the, 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 uh, somewhere, like around 18 or 19 is go back in time and keep J.M. DeMatteis from reading Jonathan Livingston Seagull, you know, because that was just. <laughs> oh, man, he would have no career then. <laughs> it's true. There is a trick. Well, except it is kind of funny the way that he uh, ends up at being like funny guy, um, you know, as through the Justice League stuff for a good chunk of time. You know, yeah. that is kind of surprising in a way. But um, yeah, you take out Jonathan Livingston Seagull, and what does he have? I guess he has a Captain America run. Didn't he do Captain America for a while? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and honestly, some of his Captain America stuff is, is stuff that I really dig. But again, I kind of have that, yeah, I really like it in a very – it's very secondhand Englehart kind of way. I mean it helps that it's – it's the majority of his run, he's being drawn by Mike Zek, who is among yes. my most favorite Captain America – illustrators yes. ever yes so yes. you know and, and he can make everything far more dynamic than it actually is right which is one of the problems with uh Dematis's defenders because mm-hmm. he's been drawn by don perlin yes. who will suck all the dynamism out of whatever yeah perlin's amazing i i i have a real fondness for perlin because he drew so many horror books during the time when I was really loving them. Um, but there is no doubt that he is, um, well, to put it mildly, he's kind of an acquired taste. And frankly, it's, it's kind of his blandness that makes so many of the horror books palatable, at least for me. You know what I mean? No, I, I totally get that. For me, Don Perlin is honestly the guy who wrote True Transformers. Because mm. I was I was that age. Oh man, I have to say that is an excellent segue, Graham. Because I read the first five issues of Marvel's Transformers. Um, oh, you, you must know, have read them before, right? No, 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 no. Oh, no, no, no. Jeff, I wasn't. Oh Jesus, Graham! <laughs> Jesus oh, God! Just but aren't the first? I want to say at least the first four issues are Bill Mantlo, aren't they? No, no. Uh, actually, no. I take that back. Um. Mandalore definitely started that title. Okay. So the great thing actually about – because I picked up the IDW uh, Transformer reprints as part of a Humble Bundle. So I've got like – Oh, so you didn't read the first five issues at all because you read issues one, two, four, five, and six, I Exactly. Guess. The Spider-Man the issue is – Spider-Man issue is not there. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So – but it's got a fabulous intro um, first off uh, and that talks about the or- – Literally, the origin of the Transformers in the sense of, um, uh, you know, I did, I honestly did not know, and I thought this would actually be a fun thing to talk about a little bit when we move into the Marvel films, how much of the Transformers mythology was hammered out by Jim Shooter in like a two-page memo or something, which is not surprising when you think about it. And then Bob Budiansky basically was Transformers Larry Hama. You know? Yes. He yes. was the guy who like took all those dudes and then fleshed them out 
Yes. And so even though there is um, Mantlo pops up, I think maybe he does the script for the first issue. I, I, I'm looking up now. Mantlo did the plot for issues one and two. Yeah, he does. Only the, the plot. plot. He's scripted by Ralph Macchio. Yeah, exactly. But there's also Budiansky, who, who later steps in, is apparently like kind of the guy behind it in terms of the other stuff. So God only knows how Mantlo pops up in there. So it's very much... Um, a, there's like many hands, um, but B, I was really shocked by how much of the stuff, because I'm like, I'm not, a, I'm as far from a Transformers fan as you can get, apart from like, I really like that recent movie, you know, the fucking insane <laughs> Mark Wahlberg one was awesome, and even the, the one before it, which was horrible, was entrancingly horrible. Oh yeah, um, as opposed to the, the second one, which is, will make you think that you have entered anti-life. Yes, right, exactly, exactly. The first two, the first one I heard was Ant, the second one I heard was the anti-life equation on film. The third one was just kind of like, we can't top that. And then the reboot, the reboot is to me just amazing. Um, but I was kind of like, oh, I didn't realize, like the Transformers is a big franchise. I did not realize how much of it is weirdly, indirectly, Jim Shooter and them doing a variety of stuff that, you know, so anyway, so reading issues one, two, four, and five of the Transformers, which is written by many people, drawn by Frank Springer and has more words per page than the <laughs> fucking Gutenberg Bible, uh, is is a, a, a stunningly excruciating read. It is amazing. It is. Yeah, but it here's is the thing, like, Jeff. I remember being ten and that comic being the most exciting thing in the fucking world. Oh, sure, sure, absolutely, absolutely. Because because uh, it is. It's one of those things that's kind of like it's not done with anything like the sort of just that beautiful elegance that Larry Hama brings to G.I. Joe. But there's like tons of fucking fights. There's double crosses aplenty, you know, because of the, the way that the Decepticons are always fucking each over, over behind the scenes, which is a great, great dynamic. It works in G.I. Joe. It frankly, it works pretty well in Transformers too. Um, but and, and once you, when you're, when you're sort of reading it and you're using the images to sort of springboard what you see in your mind, it's, it's fantastic. When you're actually trying to read it as comics on the page, it is terrifyingly <laughs> bad. Oh, a part of me wishes you kept going somehow because I swear to God, that's the high point of American Transformers comics. Yeah, I, and I'm not joking. No, 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 that, no, no, no. That's, I totally believe that's it. it. Or at least the Marvel run. Well, I honestly, f just the jump between four, which ends with Shockwave jumping in and basically killing everybody and being like, "Ha ha, I win!" And then the very next issue, like the kind of the jump up in quality and ambition and everything in issue five is is really apparent. So I probably will keep going, but part of that <laughs> is just no, my like stupid. Don't. <laughs> I swear See, to God, Graham, Jeff, you, you don't were. want to do that to yourself. Oh and man, you're like, no, it's going to get better. I no, it it no, it doesn't. Right. By the time you get to Robot Master and mm -hmm. Circuit Breaker, right. you will want to jump out a window. <laughs> Just don't do it, Jeff. I wanted to jump out a window now, but I have to say there was a little bit of the yeah, okay, I managed to 
there is the the 250 issues of Avengers have given me a certain level of both an inoculation against, but uh, impatience with shitty comics. I'm like, bring it on. This is okay. I don't even know why I'm crying. I think it's just from the pain of looking at this page. But I I had that reaction with Justice League as well, where I was like, reading 250 issues of, of Avengers now makes me have this whole new appreciation for Justice League Detroit. Right. Right. Yeah. Because it can be phoned in so much worse. Mm -hmm. And you're like, you know, there's actually ambition here. And I'm not sure you can make that argument for Transformers. But I I have to say, the reason I think that Mantle got Transformers as plotter Mm -hmm. was because he'd made ROM and Micronauts work. Exactly. Exactly. So I think there was a little bit of – it makes sense that they would try and bring him in. Um, and like I said, whoever's got the whole like, um, there's a lot of lot of historical backstory stuff that seems like Budiansky and Shooter, but you know there is a certain primal. I love the fact that it's all taking place up in Oregon too. There is it's something. That's right? like, oh my god! I really I, was. I, I was like, when did um, uh, when was the volcano eruption in Oregon? Oh, well, I think that's why. I think because Mount St. Hillary is clearly an Mount analog St. of Mount St. Helens. Which yeah. must have happened in like I don't know eighty two or something like that. Yes, that makes sense. So, so it would be like recent, recent. Yeah, it's recent, recent. So it's very much a like, oh, this was on our minds because I might be misremembering, but isn't the first issue of Avengers pretty much like, and they crash land inside here, and that's what causes the volcano to erupt? Uh, no. Uh, it's, it not, makes sense, no, because what happens is you, you're close. Nineteen eighty, it erupted. Apparently, it is is when. 1980. In, yeah. Okay. So, right. Exactly. So what happens is, if I remember correctly in Christ, it was like two weeks ago, so I'm shocked I remember any of it. The ship crashes into Mount St. Hillary, um, and I made air quotes like that. It's going to help anyone. Uh, like four million years ago or something like that. And they were in suspended animation. And then when the volcano erupts again, that's what wakes up the Transformers and the Ark. That so, you're totally right. You're yeah. totally right. Yeah, I've actually just looked up Mount Saint Hillary on uh, Transformers Wiki. Ooh, <laughs> because that's a thing, Jeff. Of course it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. roughly four million years ago, Transformers space cruiser, the Ark, mm-hmm. crashed into the dormant volcano in Oregon, not far from Portland. Yes. <laughs> sure, because that's definitely not Mount Saint Helens. What are you talking about? Exactly. It lay undisturbed until the volcano erupted again in 1984. Mm-hmm. The explosion reactivated the systems aboard the Ark, which promptly set about restoring the Autobots and Decepticons on board. Yeah. Well, and and believe me, the whole, like, like it, it, it is, in, to me, in many ways, definitely a kind of, um, it's a very New Universe-style comic in that there are so many excruciating pages laid out to explaining why these Robots can turn into like cars and jets and modern items. Like it's kind of great, but on the other hand, there's so much jammed into that first issue. I'm like, holy fucking, just kill me. This is like, I swear <laughs> to God, this is, I might as, I might as well just be reading fucking Wittgenstein if I'm going to be reading this much word verbiage on a page, you know? If I'm going to actually have to read 
Yeah, why am I not reading right. Worth exactly. Why am I exactly. Oh my god, what a douchey comic ghetto way uh, for me to look at it. But it's totally true. It's like if I wanted to read, I'd read a real book, assholes. Okay, show me robots turning into a giant gun, or get the fuck out. Yeah, it's, my favorite uh, is the Decepticons. I totally get that they're like, like the Autobots turn into cars. Auto, totally get that. Right, even right. as a kid, I got that. Yeah. When I was a kid, I was like, why are they fucking transforming into cassettes? <laughs> Oh, isn't that the best? Like, like, what? What the fuck? Yeah. I mean, I get, sure, it's toyetic. There's your tape player, there's your tapes. Sure. But if you're like, I am an evil killing machine and I can transform into a C90. Booyah! <laughs> okay, I can even get, see, okay, first off, I'm okay with that. Like, if you start, if you start parsing this shit, it's like, why a cassette tape as opposed to a boom box? You know what I mean? Like, it's not really like a tape is a piece of machinery unless we're getting, you know, no, it's, exactly. That's what I'm saying. On it's top so of nuts. it, that, that fucking whatever that, that Decepticons called starts with an R. Ravage. Thank you. Is a fuck, why is it a fucking cat? You know what I mean? Like beforehand, I, I can get what you turn into a cassette, but there's that weird, like, who the fuck needs a robot cat? You know what I mean? Like, come on, let me sit on my lap while I pet your robot fur. I don't it's get that bad. at all. God, it's an evil Jaguar, Jeff. Okay, Graham, come on. It's Jeff. the same problem. <laughs> it's the same problem. It is exactly the same fucking problem. There's and it gets no so much weirder with the like, and here's the Dinobots. They're like people, but they turn into dinosaurs. And okay. you're like, wait, why doesn't the, the cat turn into a guy then? Yeah. Yeah. No, I know. I know. It is awesome. It is just great. But yeah. So it's... wait, do you have the entire Marvel run because of this Humble Bundle? I, I don't, I don't know, man. I don't know. Get off my back. Uh, I don't know. Uh, let me see here. What do I have? Humble bundle. God, I missed this. If I had seen this, I might have bought it. Oh, uh, it, really? It's... See, I totally shocked you because I really did do it to uh, a humble bundle. It is. Oh man, don't make me log in, motherfucker. Jesus. Uh, it's it's Transformers Classics through Volume Four, apparently. Why, why, why must you be so much better at this than me, Graham? All right, the... this is years ago as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's, exactly. It's like years ago, two August. years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, right. So, no, it's... I you're like two years ago, and I'm like August. <laughs> <laughs> Same thing. <laughs> so it's no. So it's all four volumes of All Hail Megatron, Aut- Aut- Autocracy. Um, Four volumes of the classics, which Christ help me. I mean, seriously, that's that's. I'm looking up what's in volume four. I'm looking to see how far it goes. Mm -hmm. Oh God, Jeff, it it goes drastically into the shitty period. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like impressively into the shitty period. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So there's it's. I have more. I have more Transformers than I knew know what to do with. And it was literally this idea of like, oh, I'll put it on here. I will start reading this shit, and uh, and then you know, for those yeah, weeks it, when I can't get to the comic store or whatever. Oh my I'll god, be. Jeff! It's it's it includes like some of the worst, some of some of the worst <laughs> stuff. And yet, seriously, if I had seen this. At the mm-hmm. time, I totally would have bought it from for nostalgic value. Oh, I'm sure you would have. I'm sure you would have because it's really a ridiculous. I mean, it it isn't a fuck ton of comics, terrible or otherwise. And uh, well, all through when because it, it goes through volume four, it's the first fifty issues of the Marvel run. Yeah, see, I mean, that's a lot. I mean, and that's just like that's just like four of the volumes. There's still like another eight 
Transformers books thrown in there. So Prime. Yeah, all Hell Megatrons are, are kind of interesting books. Yeah. Yeah, it, they're uh, they're they're literally what it says it is. It's Megatron has beaten everyone. The end. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, finish finish the Marvel run. I swear to God, you're going to get to probably like issue twenty and just be like, no, I I never want to read another comic as long as I live. Oh yeah, I Eyes believe it. I, I, I really was like, I made it to issue five, and then it's like, okay, I have got to change thank thankfully this will this sadly this sale will be over by the time we uh this podcast gets uploaded but um comiXology is having a sale on fanographics ec collections um and i thought like for 10 or i think it's like 11 dollars a volume i'm like oh i'll gamble on some of those since i'm feeling you know it's right near my birthday and i'm feeling rich and um Holy crap, man. The Harvey Kurtzman stuff in that collection uh, is amazing. Amazing stuff. That's the corpse on the Imgen, um, you know, cat exclamation point. Um, I'm only like 28 pages into it. So it's like three stories in and every one of them is just a kind of a just a just a gem of. Well, his storytelling is fantastic. His cartooning is really, I mean, Kurtzman, as you know, is like very much a cartoonist, but mm-hmm. his stuff is astonishing. That guy is just doing stuff with like, I don't even know if he's like drawing with like Sharpie or what, but his, his, his blacks, his thick lines are stunning to me. And every story, even when it's a little bit like, it's just, you know, sort of popular, um, you know, kind of B-movie fare, he always does something clever with it. It's it's just, it's kind of great. And I kind of realized, I had this moment when yesterday I was like freaking out because we're in the process of, for people who don't follow me on Twitter, um, the last five days have just been this crazy nonstop nightmare because we had the flooring redone in our apartment, which it, it, it just ended up with me like all but curled up in a corner with headphones on, like, you know, self-soothing, like a, like a bastard. And, um, in between playing, leaving re- Edie to do it all. Oh yeah. Always. When, I, when okay. in doubt. As long, as long as you and I are on the same page. Well, that, why know, are you so if, cool to me? It is my birthday I'm tomorrow. Saying, why are you, you being here on the same page? Why be a hater? If why it's a, a practical hater? thing, then you and I fall to pieces and then our wives oh, are much okay. better at this. Yes. Take care of it. Yeah, it's totally true. Okay. I didn't realize this was like a statement of, um, no, of comradeship. I, I am, yeah, I was going to say, I am there with you. I am, oh. I am not being a hater. I am <laughs> asserting our equal shittiness. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you. Okay. So, yes. So, yes. I, I'm trying to deal with my own self-loathing for sitting there self-soothing myself, which I'm clearly still defensive about. But uh, I really had that thing of like, God, I'm not going to be able to get out the store and go to the comic book, get to the comic book store. And I'm like, I have more comic books on this fucking iPad. Like, I could probably read this thing for like a month between this and the stuff that's on my shelf. And... You know, I mean, as long as people didn't mind us talking to me talking about comic books anywhere from like six months to, to 40 years old. Oh, God, no. That's that's totally what I've been doing as well. Do you know what else I've been reading this week? Mm. The Star Trek books, because I know you have this DVD as well. Yes. Yeah. Star Trek DVD. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I have now done all of the first Marvel run 
and the first DC run and the second DC run of the Star Trek. Holy shit, that is so many comics, Graham. It really is. I mean, mean, you're talking... Wow. uh, 150, maybe? Jesus, God. How long did the Star Trek, the Marvel Star Trek thing run? I always thought it was like 20 issues issues. or something. Okay, so yeah, yeah, yeah. But DC was the one where they're like... DC had 50 and then 80. Wow. Wow, that is a stunner. That is a stunner. You know, it's amazing to me because... Uh, and feel free to, 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 um, let me know how, again, how ignorant I, I am in my assumptions. But I always thought it was amazing to me that Marvel Comics in the 70s seemed like there is a group of people that were so heavily informed by the original Star Trek TV show, like nobody's business. And I find it amazing that it they could never really just seem to make the comic book work. Oh, the comic book is... It starts all right, mm-hmm. and very quickly just veers towards not all right at all. It, hmm. It's it's kind of amazing. Uh, it starts off with the, the movie adaptation. Right, which the is admittedly a tough thing to recover from. Um, but they, they do they do it... Probably more justice than it deserves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's Cockrum and Klaus Janssen on art. Yeah, I mean, can you imagine? There's fucking Dave Cockrum. There's a guy who probably has been... I mean, there's a guy that, like, you know, the original Star Trek TV show just, like, courses through that guy's art. And oh, then yeah. you're like, okay, but we're going to put it in, you know, a post-2001 set design area where everyone looks like they've just been sterilized. Um, exactly. Where everyone is wearing pajamas. Everyone, everyone is, wearing... is wearing pajamas because they've all had a vasectomy. Every single one of them, including the women, at the same time. Go. Uh, and, it, and yeah, it's the weirdest, weirdest comic. And what's really funny is it, uh, you can almost see where people just go, fuck it. Right. Right. I, and the quality, like, there's an, an issue relatively late in the run where the plot is, I shit you not, the Enterprise beams down to planets, look there's magic gnomes with their magic hats. <laughs> and you know what the end of the issue is? What? Spock gets one of the magic hats and makes everything all right. Oh. No. The end. Oh no! Oh. It's oh, it. I mean, it's it's appalling, <laughs> but that's that's how bad it gets, right? And you 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 can sense there is always at least one genuine Star Trek fan working on it. Oh yeah, and right. it's like I can't believe I get a chance to you know draw Spock talking to McCoy, wait, and they're talking to gnomes. Right. Okay, I can make that work. No, I can't. Yeah. Yeah, uh, but what's amazing is you then go from that to the DC run, which is like a year later, mm-hmm. um, and it's just—it's first of all, it's the same people or mm-hmm. it's the same writer. Mike mm-hmm. Barr starts off the Marvel run and then disappears by like issue six, and then he starts off the DC run. Mm-hmm. But he's clearly learned from all his mistakes, mm-hmm. uh, and and I get the feeling that. All the licensing learn from their mistakes See, as well. All of a sudden, it. they're yeah. like, "Oh, we can reference the TV show again." Right, and right. they waste absolutely no fucking time in doing that yeah. as well. Yeah, licensing probably realized that they kind of fucked up a good thing and backed off, or they had an editor who realized what the problem was the first time. But I'm fascinated by 
reading stuff like the Indiana Jones comic, you know, um, and, and which the, again is it, how do you fuck that up? It's such a great idea, and then you read the comic, and you're like, oh, you did it really quickly. Well, because because it you is fucked that it up thing. within like six months. Be, Good because job. John Byrne said, you know, Byrne was like, I was such a huge fan, and he's like, and by the third or fourth time, I was getting the world's stupidest notes from Lucasfilm. It was like, fuck it. And so that's apparently part of the problem. The book was always had that kind of desperate, cranked out, barely worked kind of thing to it in its best issues because licensing was just such a fucking bear. You know, trying to produce a monthly comic and having licensing go back and go like, "Eh, can you maybe show why he's using a whip, you know, kind of thing. But what's crazy is that totally worked for Star Wars. Well, yeah, exactly. Because you know I, think, I mean, like yeah. on the on the Star Wars book, yeah, the uh, seat of our pants having constantly to try and rework something, so you get the feeling that they literally finished it an hour before it had to go to print. Right, made it exciting. Yeah, in a way that for Indiana Jones and for Star Trek, it made it just deathly dull. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because that's what really did both those books in the Indiana yeah, they're, Marvel they're and Indiana Jones books. Mm-hmm. Actually, the Marvel and Indiana. Indiana Jones stuff are dull, but the mm. Dark Horse ones are worse. Mm. The Dark yeah. Horse and Indiana Jones books are terrible. Yeah, once bitten, twice shy. I never went back. Never went back. Yeah, you, you made the right decision yeah. because I remember at some point I was like, because they came out with all of them as the omnibuses. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know, local library, I can get anything. Why not? I'm only sure. wasting my time. And then you're like, oh no, I'm really wasting my time. <laughs> like, these books are terrible. Yeah. Yeah, I I don't know. I just uh, it's it's interesting. On the other hand, part of me is like looking at what they've done with Indiana Jones in the films. I'm just like <laughs> you're like yeah, maybe no one should touch it. Yeah, Jones. maybe you just can't fucking do it. You know, maybe there's just a certain number of people who can do an Indiana Jones story, and they can't even it can't even be stories. You know what I mean? Like. Fucking, uh, it's like one, maybe one and a half if you're Steven Spielberg, and that is, and that is it. Um, yeah, it's really, it's, it's amazing the stuff that does and doesn't work. You know, again, the thing that I th- find amazing because of the way that they did it from the inside out, Transformers works as a comic book. I mean, it's a hideous fucking comic, but seeing how much of that stuff gets retained, it's not just fan service. There's some real built-in dynamics into the way the story is set up. Same with, same with G.I. Joe, that it's kind of like, oh, okay, here's your conflict. Here's your conflict generators. You know, in mm-hmm. in ways that I don't think that you kind of have so much with something like Indiana Jones or Star Trek in certain ways that you have to figure out a way to get around. Or you have to be such a huge super fan that it, it doesn't really matter. You yeah. Know? This is strange thing about the Star Trek books. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first Marvel run is bad. The, second D- uh, the first DC run is great, actually. It's really good. Oh, interesting. And then the second one mm-hmm. just goes off a cliff. <laughs> just really gets amazingly bogged down in fanishness. 
Well, okay, so this this it's so funny you say Peter David because that's exactly what I was going to ask <laughs> Here's you. Here's the thing. I wasn't me talking about Peter David. No, I know, actually. The thing that's amazing that, about that, Peter David. Your is... snark is impressive, my friend. <laughs> well, um no, it goes off a cliff after Peter David leaves. It goes yeah. off a cliff when Peter David is off the book and he's replaced by I was gonna say Harvey Weinstein. Oh that's my god, the guy's name. That would Howard. be amazing. <laughs> Howard Howard something. Hmm. Uh, Howard, I'm putting in Howard W. Star Trek, and I can't remember what his name is. Howard Weinstein. There you go. So it wasn't oh, a million miles go. away. You were not far off at all, sir. Um, so, yeah, he writes, I want to say everything from issue 20 onwards, or like maybe the majority of them anyway. Maybe not everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and he has a very particular idea of what a Star Trek story should be. Mm-hmm. And what that is, is how closely can I get it to hew to the original story, the original TV shows, if the original TV shows were played at half speed? Yeah. Uh, I can imagine. Which is also how I would describe the first season of Next Gen. But, you know, that's... Yeah, well, and and the second season. Yeah, I guess that's probably true too. Let's yeah, so, come together until season three. Let's let's back up because, like I said, I did. I, I at a certain point there weren't a lot of licensed comics that I was picking up, but you know, and Star Trek was definitely one that I stayed away from. I think always. Uh, I mean, I say always, but I read the Gold Key stuff, which was amazing. But okay, Peter David, why, yeah. did, why did you buy that DVD then? Because I know you have the DVD. It's not just me. Yes, no, uh, that DVD was like. I think I caught it on sale for maybe $12. And for me, that was enough money to have the gold key Star Trek books. Because I guess that's what oh, I was okay. going to say. Got to explore some of the other stuff. Yes. I, here's the thing. I, hands and heart, would say that I think the Peter David Star Trek comics are the best of the Star Trek comics. Oh, okay. So this is great, Graham. I, I look forward Am to I the end of my sentences. Yeah, completely. <laughs> Is I remember picking up the books on this, not reading them, but flipping through them on the stands, and it was clear that Peter David, and and because I was actually liking some of the stuff that David had done over at Marvel, because I, I don't know, I'm having trouble tracking the timeline for that sort of yeah, I'm, thing. I'm fairly sure he was doing Hulk around then, and Hulk. Yeah, his, yeah. Exactly. People were like, "Oh, he's actually kind of he's he's not bad." Yeah, well, I I actually like David out of the gate, frankly, because one of the first things he ever did was Death of Gene DeWolf, which I thought was pretty decent and very different in in many ways from what he went on to do, of course, and kind of yeah. be known as. But I remember picking up something like something just as goofy as like the Kirk meets T.J. Hooker little in joke in the bottom of a page, and I was like, oh my god, that is fanish as hell. But I was also kind of like. But it's interesting, and I remember yeah, flipping through that's... the stuff and being like, "It's a thing." It, 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 it here's the thing: David is very fanish. Yeah, there is absolutely no denying that. Mm-hmm. But every Star Trek writer in the DC run is amazingly fanish. Sure, like there, there is not one who is not overly referential to the original material and what... the original series in particular. Um, but what David brings is. A playfulness within that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so you have, you have fanishness, and it's not just fanishness towards Star Trek. Like, there's a fucking, uh, Bloom County sequence in one of the issues. <laughs> not just a joke, a Bloom County sequence. Wow. Um, but he brings a sense of not just playfulness, but also stakes. Like, things actually happen. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And things happen in such a way that you 
for example, when Mike Barr was writing it, mm-hmm. uh, he'd do these things that'd be like, "Look, look at me! I've you know, whatever I you know, I've given <laughs> Spock his own ship, mm-hmm. and you know, Kirk's. I have no idea what he was doing with Kirk." Kirk's, I don't know, eating some bad curry, whatever. Wow, um, these issues really stuck, Ram, I have to say. <laughs> uh, okay, so he, he brings like he brings back the mirror universe in a really early storyline, which goes on forever, oh, which God. is the other thing. I Because, I, I, you know, I'm reading these in batches. You know, right. I'm like, I have the DVD. I can literally, you know, read ten of these in a row mm-hmm. because they're also not slow reads. I can just race through them. Yeah. But the, the mirror universe story goes on for like nine months. Good. What? That's well, that's crazy. Just it. And I and this is in eighty four or something. I honestly can't imagine people weren't like, "This is fucking Trial of the Flash." But just funny, fucking finish the story. Yeah, 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 yeah. Holy um, shit! But no, so he does, he does these things, and and Bart does these things, and you either know it's not going to stick, mm-hmm. and so have almost no interest in it, right? Or he then proceeds to do nothing with it. Mm-hmm. So he's like, he'll be like, Luke, I've come up with this great, it's, it's Conway again, I've come up with this great idea. Right. Which is just going to lie there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas David was smart to go, oh, I've come up with this idea, I'm going to be done with it in two issues. Right. So I'm going to milk it for all it's worth in that time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so like he, uh, there's an assassination attempt on Kirk. Mm-hmm. And instead of having an issue where it's like, oh, God, is he going to pull through? Like, he's up on his feet by, like, five pages in the next issue. Mm-hmm. And instead he's like, so it's actually a murder mystery, except mm-hmm. no one actually got murdered. Right. right. And so I'll use it to spin off into this, and I use it to spin off into that. As opposed to all the other writers who are like, oh, you know, is Ahura going to quit the ship? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Right. Like, the, the Howard Weinstein guy, swear to God, has, like, a storyline that comes out after Star Trek Six, and mm-hmm. Star Trek Six was the one where you see that Sulu is now the captain of another ship. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. His comic comes out after Star Trek Six, and he has like four issues of going, is Sulu going to leave the Enterprise and become the captain of another ship? Oh, yeah. Right, right. And the, the thing was like, the audience then knew this. Right. Why are you taking so long to say yes? Yeah, 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 yeah. That That's hilarious. It's interesting. I wonder if it's one of those deals where he had it all plotted out, and then they're like, "Oh, by the way, here's the script for Star Trek 6. and he's like, "Oh, motherfucker," you know. So, or or well, no, you it's know, a while. It's a while on. after Star Trek. 6. Is it? Because yeah. I'm like, wow, okay. That's terrifying to me to contemplate. It, it, it's kind of fascinating to see the Star Trek books, and also I remember this very clearly with the Star Wars books that they would have to get everything back in place for this next film. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, yes. we've got our toys, and this is taking place between these films, which means that we have to, whatever we do, we have to undo, mm-hmm. because the next film is not going to remember that the comics have happened, because they're not reading the comics, they don't give a shit about the comics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly, exactly. A.K.A., to me, Star Wars syndrome, because I feel like yeah. so, that's so, so where Star Trek has the mm-hmm. greatest one, mm-hmm. which is between Star Trek 3 and Star Trek 4. Star oh, Trek 3's movie ends with all of them on mm-hmm. uh, Vulcan. Mm-hmm. And they've destroyed the Enterprise, That's right. and they're on the run from Starfleet, and they've got the Klingon ship. Yes. So obviously, Star Trek Four has to also start there, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But there's two years between them Jesus of comics Christ. that they have to fill. Right. And their workaround for that is they get off Vulcan, they all go back, including Spock, who's completely healthy. 
they save the, the universe from destruction. Mm-hmm. They all get pardoned from Starfleet. Mm-hmm. They get different starships. Mm-hmm. They go off and have their adventures. Then three months before the movie happens, there's a crazy virus <laughs> that forces the crew of the Enterprise to again steal the Klingon ship. <laughs> again <laughs> sabotage all the Federation ships. <laughs> and for Spock to lose all of his memory. Right. And it's, you know, it's... I can't imagine anyone reading this being like, could you not just say, okay, we're just pretending those issues didn't happen. But, yeah, but I mean, like, but what are you going to do? In that sense, I, I also feel like at that point, comics, you're in the losing seat. That's about as good a solution at, unless you, the the only way to lose is to do so entertainingly. You know what I mean? Like, that's what's hilarious about that whole idea is my, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's totally the way that I would do it. It's so ridiculously pedantic. You know, it's kind of the way that 80s comics rolled is, you know, as opposed to like, if you had Grant Morrison step in, he would just have all these other adventures happen. And then there would be a time eating virus that would roll everything back to the point. You know what I mean? Like, it's kind of like. Oh, okay. I'm going to have to take a complete diversion here. Yes. Uh, Have you heard the Terminator, the new Terminator movie plot? And if so, what do you think? I have not heard it. I have not heard it. Are you interested at all in Terminator? Yeah, yeah. But I mean, you can you can quote unquote spoil it for me. What 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 are they talking about? Um, so the new film is going to. They've been saying for a while, like it's not a reboot. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a crazy new idea on this, the series. Mm-hmm. This is the new idea. In another Terminator, mm-hmm. has gone further back in time right. and killed off Sarah Connor's parents when she's a kid. Mm-hmm. Need to be stopped by another Terminator who goes back to stop them, and then that second Terminator raises Sarah Connor himself, and he'll be played by Arnold Schwarzenegger in the film to explain why he looks older. Yes, the new Sarah Connor has no like human emotions because she's been raised by a robot, and now she's going to be taught to love by Kyle Reese. Ah, there you go. Oh man, that's terrible. It's terrible, isn't it? I mean, it, it's it's it, it's as if someone was like, "Okay, how can we come up with the worst idea? Like, what what's the worst idea we could do for this film?" And they sat around the table and they're like, "Oh, could we just ignore like the third film?" And they're like, "No, no, 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 the third film it all counts as canon, but we've got to restart it." Have you guys seen that Star Trek film? Oh, the one where they change history. Yeah, so let's do that. But how do we do it? Right. Um, what if Arnold Schwarzenegger? is a good guy and he raises Sarah Connor. Right. Okay, so here's the thing. I am down with about, and I mean down with, I kind of don't care much. Exactly. Sort of. I, I do not actively object yeah. to about half that. Exactly. Exactly. Right down to the idea of like terminated, like Arnold going farther back in time so it explains why he's aged. I'm totally down with that. Him having raised Sarah Connor and because of the whole time paradox, her family doesn't exist and you're kind of in a weird new reboot situation. I'm kind of down with that. Yeah, the whole that's like, the I never learned to love because I was raised by a robot and now I'm going to learn how to love again thanks to a time traveling, you know, soldier. So, oh, so bad. So know, very, right? very bad. It's, yeah. it, that's the part where you're just like, no, if yeah. like, if you're going, okay, she's emotionless and, you know, and, and that reboot has happened. Just go forward with that. Mm-hmm. Just don't bring in the rest of it at all. Yeah. Well, because I think, I, I, but I sort of get, depending on how they do it, I kind of get it. 
you know, because they're sort of the way they're looking at the big four quadrant map. Like they're like, oh yeah, but if we do it this way, it like we can bring, we can put the romance, like the romance moves more to the center and we have a reason for it to exist. Like we have a reason for it to be important in the story. You know what I mean? I just don't like the fact that it's a, it's like the least original way and, and just frankly, just kind of ridiculous. I mean, it's just, it's just so cliched and dumb. The idea of like, Oh, I was raised by a blender. Therefore I can only communicate with blender faces. And that's why I only eat smoothies. <laughs> <laughs> See a better spin, Graham. That's why we should get spin in the room together. Blender. Oh, Jeff, you're, on okay. fire. you're off the team. You're off the team. You were on the team. Now you're off the team. Oh my god. Okay, so there's a few things that I wanted to talk about. Um we had you bastard, you did this deliberately so you wouldn't have to talk about the Marvel film slate, right? Oh no, not you at all. You totally ran the clock for like No, I didn't. No. Um... Okay, should we talk about the film slate or do you want to talk about the Age of Ultron trailer first? Uh sure, let's go with let's go with Age of Ultron trailer. I'll talk hopefully briefly about the movies that I saw and then we can talk about the Marvel movie slate or not. So Yes. Okay. Uh, Age of Ultron trailer. Uh, am I the only one who watched it and had, like, almost no reaction? Well... I almost wrote, wrote away what about it. I, I... Like, I, I the website, where I was just like, that's a movie. Oh, my God. I feel, I feel nothing. Okay, so here's the thing. A couple of months before, I don't know when, what, why I was in the movie theater, because it, unfortunately, it happens so rarely. But I was in the movie theater watching dashed in to catch a film. And at the time I was watching a whole slew of movie trailers and I'm like, what the fuck is up with this bullshit? Like let's take a, a song and satisfy it up to make the trailer more meaningful oh, kind of thing. Oh, and I, 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 I no strings, Jeff. That was, I was like, I almost laughed like three times while watching that trailer because I'm like, are you shitting me? It just seemed like a bad <laughs> parody of those trailers. I'm like, because back when I noticed it, I'm like, oh, my God, they're doing this horrible like um, it was some trailer when they, they, they had the, the guy doing was it, the was blue it skies. What, uh, maybe? Oh, OK. There, I mean, it's been had, around um, forever. Had, uh, Once Upon a Dream with Lana Del Rey. Oh right, yeah. No, it, maybe that's it. Maybe it was it was that, or it was there was something where there's some robot voice, you know, you know, blurbling about blue skies or whatever. I mean, it's a trend. It's a thing. We all have seen a lot of them. So it really has reached its hilarious. It's now a parody of itself with the "I got no strings" thing, which is a shame because, of course, as these things happen, I was not fast enough to see the trailer when it was leaked. It was only when it was officially released by Marvel, like four hours later. In which case, I already heard the "I got no strings" tagline. So that part was great here. So I was like, oh, that could be kind of dumb or it might work. And so when they have that, like in the middle of everything, I'm like, okay, this is the stupidest fucking is thing ever. Um, and yet I have to say James Spader was a great choice because putting James Spader and having him talk through a Harley muffler pipe 
was great. He sounded fantastic. It was like, oh, okay, he's clearly in the zone. I absolutely, anytime he was talking, I thought it was, I was like, oh, I, 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 it's funny for somebody who doesn't even watch his like TV show, whatever the fuck it's called, The Blacklist. The Blacklist, and you should, Jeff, one of the greatest TV shows for James Bader eating scenery. I, I, you know, it's that thing. I did not think that I cared about James Spader eating scenery until I heard him. <laughs> Maybe if I watched the blacklist, like not looking at the TV. Yeah, I'd exactly. Love it. You'd love it. Yeah, exactly. So all of his various lines, I'm like, oh my god, he sounds fabulous. But the trailer itself was, um, yeah, it just was nothing. I believe the picture you're looking for is underwhelming. Dull. Yeah, no, it was kind of dull. I mean, it was kind of dull, but. How do I put it? I also feel, and I could be wrong, that that was the fault of the people making the trailer. You know, the people. Oh like- yeah, I, I, because you've seen, have you seen the uh, the clip that came out with uh, Agents of Shield? No, this week. Mm-hmm. So it's actually like a scene from the film, right? Um, and it's much better mm-hmm. because you're like, oh, there's a sense of humor here. It's right. you know, it's entertaining, it's engaging. Yeah, there, there's a sense of character. Because yeah. the trailer is generic as shit. Yeah, exactly. The trailer was made by marketing people when they got behind – they're, like, officially behind all the trends. And so all of it, the whole, like, camera panning around while people look alarmed, the music, everything is oh, – yeah. All it missed was the, the – yeah, exactly. no, That was it. That was the only thing that trailer yeah. was missing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it – so I was like, eh. more to the point, I saw Amazing Spider-Man 2 and Captain America the Winter Soldier thanks to the uh, miracle of Red okay. Fox. Talk to me about Amazing Spider-Man 2 because I haven't seen it. Okay, Amazing Spider-Man 2 is, to me, really interesting because you have so many good actors being wasted. Like, it is, it is literally what, like watching someone set fire to money. That movie, it is, it is so poorly written and so poorly executed. And admittedly, there are choices that have come to bite them in the ass. Like the direction of the acting, the the direction of the scenes. Like there are scenes between uh, Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone, or there's an amazing scene, like literally an amazing scene between Sally Field as Aunt May and Andrew Garfield as Peter Parker, where those two people are acting the shit out of this scene. And the scene is kind of, it's, it's not the scene itself is badly written because they really do fucking save it. But it's the fact that the scene itself is is tied to something that you could not give a shit less about. And, of course, I'm talking about the mystery of Peter Parker's parents. Um, and additionally, because of the fact that Andrew Garfield is, I don't know, 37 or however old he is, and he's supposed to be playing literally someone who just graduated from high school – a, they he they have to dress him in and clothe him and his haircut. Everything about it suggests that he's developmentally disabled in the way that he looks. <laughs> and additionally, <laughs> the angles they film him at so that they don't risk catching any sort of wrinkle, like any wrinkle that he would have. They film it. Any scene of his is kind of filmed like 
where the main point of focus is on the point between his earlobe and where his like jawbone starts, it's the most it's it's literally the most frustrating. I I wanted to reach up and like reach into the TV set and rotate the camera because it it was it was just filmed from excruciatingly bad angles. Um, Amazing Spider-Man Two, on the one hand. The, it's such a cliche. On paper, it looks like it's a better movie than the first Amazing Spider-Man movie, which I thought was terrible. Like, Amazing Spider-Man 2 starts with Spidey, like, it's literally opening almost like an issue of the Spider-Man comic book, which is to say there's crooks robbing a thing and Spider-Man zipping along and try, and stopping them, you know, as they're shooting and going, look, it's Spider-Man. It's basically the opening of every Jerry Conway lean ween issue of Spider-Man that I ever loved. And yet it is so profoundly poorly shot and it's it's just dull it's grindingly incomprehensibly dull from the first eight minutes and then it proceeds to go on for like another six hours it is it is such a tragic waste <laughs> six hours jeff six hours i i might be You're i'm like, probably underestimating at least yeah. it's probably closer to seven it's probably it's you know how they do with these movies it's like six and a half and it, it's it's bad like avi arad needs to they need to get him away from the Marvel movies. Like it, it, it's it's everything that was terrible about Spider-Man Three, but worse, so much worse, so much shit you don't give a shit about. This again, this kid who plays Harry Osborn, despite the fact that he looks like he is a serial killer with a terrible haircut. Um, the scenes with him and Andrew Garfield, they make it work. I'm like, oh, they can act, but they only have like a minute and a half to establish any sort of rapport before you're supposed to believe that the rest of the film is going to rest on them, uh, sort of their betrayed friendship to power all the hijinks in the last three hours of the movie. And it is, it is, it is just, it is on, it's over jammed with stuff. It's poorly developed. It is, it is primordial. It is just basic as all shit. And again, the stuff with Peter's, Peter Parker's parents, which sounds like a goddamn um, tongue twister, is just is just terrible. So it's a it's an amazingly bad movie, Graham. And you'll probably watch it and be like, oh, it wasn't that bad after Jeff trash talked it so poor so much. But honestly, I, especially, oh man, all this stuff. They Emma Stone is really talented, and the fact that that she literally got wasted in that movie. You know, that whole sequence it was gratuitous and and just poorly handled like it's it's that 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 franchise is in sad sad shape i can see why it barely made half a billion dollars because everyone who walked into it i'm sure that only the most insanely rabid fans were able to walk out being like hey i've got to see that again or b told someone else to go see it because i really we finished that up and i was and it was just it was awful it was like standing next to the train on a train next to somebody silently farting on you for like days it was just terrible that just sounds terrible. great yeah by contrast, and this is the thing that I find fascinating, Captain America 2 Winter Soldier 
was overall a good movie. Um, although this, th- I think this was actually the thing that I was going to bring up. As much as I like Captain America 2, The Winter Soldier, which I'm apparently going to say over and over again, despite the fact that there's no two in it, uh, I... But there should be. There should be. Captain America, The Winter Soldier is a very, very strong film for two-thirds of it, maybe even three-quarters of it. But this is the thing I wanted to ask you, Graham McMillan, because I suspect you will feel the same. What is wrong with superhero movies that their third act of the film always sucks? It uh, always sucks. I actually sucks. have an Audrey response to this, which is I was reading an interview with, I want to say Robert Downey Jr. Mm-hmm. recently, someone in the Marvel movies anyway, and they addressed this. Really? By pretty much saying the problem with uh, superhero movies is you can't have a third act. Mm. Uh, because, I, and in this case, it was, it must have been Downey Jr. because he was talking about Iron Man 3 in particular. Mm. Um, and he said what he liked about Iron Man 3 was it was theoretically the end of the series. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you could offer some resolution. Right. And he was arguing that you just can't do that when the series is continuing. I will agree. I think uh, Captain America – I was going to say Captain America 3, The Winter Soldier, just to one-up you. Yeah. Um, I, I think that film I, – I, I've actually got a lot of problems with the film. I really enjoyed it, but I think it's mm-hmm. crazily problematic at times. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, it, its last third, it's, like it's, it's, its denouement is, is horrible. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because it, it's like, you know, conspiracy theory, you don't know who to trust. Apart from right now, when they've all revealed themselves for no reason, they're spread everywhere, you can't do anything about it, but luckily they're all here. Right. So that we can beat them up and then beat them. The end. Yeah, uh, I, okay, how do I put it? Like, weirdly, I didn't necessarily have a problem with it, in part because one of the things they sort of show, one of the things that I thought was very interesting um and this is going to kill myself uh, when I'm doing the show notes, is uh, the comic uh, critic, I should say all-around cultural critic, uh, Cheat here. His Twitter is filled with amazing things, in part because he's willing to actually write his little mini-essays, which are usually like 20 to 25 statements. And he had... Yeah, on Twitter. And he had his, you know, the Winter Soldier as Gnostic myth kind of concept, which I, which was a pretty fun little Twitter essay. Um, and I'm not entirely sure that I agree with it, where he goes on to sort of talk about one of the things in which it, that's potentially very fascinating about Winter Soldier is the way in which Hydra seems to represent something. I, I the, the Winter Soldier has a sort of um, political critique at its core, but here himself finds it a kind of murky critique and that it is sort of, it has a lot to do with the idea of secret governments that only secret people are allowed to know about. And one of the things that I thought got downplayed for Winter Soldier was, and probably because they're going to pick it up in S.H.I.E.L.D., I'm sure, is the idea that it, at the end of the film, you know, Black Widow and Cap and everyone, they basically pull a full Snowden and and upload all the information about S.H.I.E.L.D. and about HYDRA and put it out there. So, Spoilers, I, Jeff. That does not get picked up in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. at all. Oh, really? All. They don't? It's as if it didn't happen. Are you serious? 
Oh, it, it, anyone who went into Agents of Shield after seeing Captain America was like, I can't wait to see all those threads picked up. Yeah, you might think Agents of Shield writers had never seen the film. Really? Yeah. Like it, it, all of that gets dropped. All of that gets dropped. You're anyone looking me. to wow. Agents of Shield as a follow through for the Winter Soldier, you're totally looking in the wrong place. It oh does not God. exist. That's that's. To me, that's kind of all but kind of a slap in the face to somebody. I don't know if it's the viewers or the agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the people making it, because it's kind of that idea of like, oh, this is the game changer for the series, because all of a sudden... Oh, oh no, the game changer for the series is that S.H.I.E.L.D. doesn't exist anymore. That's it. That's the extent of it. That's the extent of it? Not just the the fact that it's not just that S.H.I.E.L.D. doesn't exist... But, like, all of their info has been uploaded, and so every cover they've ever had has been blown, and... Nope. Wow. Yeah, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. has turned into a very strange show, a much better show, uh, Mm. in the second season. Yeah. The end of the first season is a fucking mess. Mm -hmm. I I cannot express strongly enough just how bad it is. Mm -hmm. Um, But the second season, they've clearly had a chance to take a breath and be like, okay, what do we actually want to do? But they're still not picking up on the idea that all of that information is out there at all. And it, it should. Like, that even ties in with stuff that they set up in the beginning of the first season. Mm-hmm. But they just don't pick it up. Wow. Wow. Yeah, none of it's there. I don't think that's ever going to be picked up ever again. I think that was there for, like, a topical thing, and it's never going to be used again. Ah, oh, jeez. What a shame. What's a shame? Because it really kind of had – like, I even walked out for, like, a brief second being like, oh – this could have ramifications in the Marvel universe apart from that, like, you know, people just mentioning New York and stirring off into the distance thing that I find so absurd, you know, um, I, 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 huh. Interesting. Well, disappointing. One of the things that I thought was interesting about the winter soldier is the fact that the movie suffers for having the winter soldier in it. And this is actually the part that I think is the problem with the third act of superhero movies. Like, as a strictly kind of um, hardcore badass and a piece of like just sort of dynamic slash toyetic design, the Winter Soldier looks great. Like robot arm, all, you know, super knife fighting things when he shows oh, up and starts visually, he, up shit, he looks great. Yeah. He looks fantastic. He look. I mean, he looks like a bad guy and the way they have him, it's totally as us, as an unstoppable badass. I totally believed him, but the Steve Bucky relationship is meaningless. It's, it's as bad. It's almost as bad as amazing Spider-Man two. They thank God they've got that one flashback scene with Bucky and cap. But even in the first captain America movie, I was like, they're going to cast two guys who are best friends and they're going to not cast for actors who have any chemistry whatsoever. So it's a weird thing in the winter soldier where everything that boils down to is this idea of, you know, caps like inherent, like I've got to beat Bucky, but I've got to stop this thing. And I'm being torn in two directions. Everything. My friends, my enemy, my friends, my enemy, my friends. Exactly. Exactly. It's a classic setup. And yet it uh, it ha- it's weightless. Like it's just sh- so purely uh, like you're going to have to take our word for it. And that's that happens so much in superhero movies. Either A, it is like 
you're it's like you're facing down genera villain X that is so big and so huge and so overwhelming and so visually incomprehensible that you are just going to assume that this is really amazing. Just take our word for it. Or the flip side is like, oh my God, it's so absolutely heartrending that friend against friend is they're, that they're pitted against one another. And it's totally because you've actually seen them be friends for, you know, at 30 least, seconds. Yeah, at least 90 seconds in a two and a half hour movie feel for it, you know, is just is terrible. It's terrible. There's actually those, more those some heartwarming 30 seconds, Jeff. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, it it's so there's all there's always too much stuff jammed into the movies is, I think, part of the problem. Like now that you've got a superhero universe, it's like. There's always more and more. You jam in so much fan service and Easter eggs. And then by the time you get to the climax, it is built around um, it's it's built around showing a showdown with a nobody. You know what I mean? More often than not. That's part part of the reason why I think as tedious as it was to see Loki again in Avengers, because I'm just I'm just not into that character the way that a, a, a million people on the internet are. At least there was enough through line and resonance. Like you knew the character, and there was some sort of emotional grounding, provided you'd seen the first Thor movie, or else you were probably screwed similarly. Um, at least there was something there. But like, well, even if you hadn't seen the first Thor movie. Uh, Tom Hiddleston is charismatic. He's charismatic, and I think they do a very good job setting up the scenes with him. Like, he has a sense of menace. You have a sense of who he is. You have a sense of the emotional stakes involved in the character. But the problem is, is, yeah. But I think that uh, the Winter Soldier is a problem from that. But I think the worst one by far was Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm -hmm. Oh, totally. Exactly. You know, that's... uh, uh, Lee Pace is just a non-entity. Well, Lee villain. Pace is a non-entity, but I'm sorry. The fact that he's attacking the Nova planet of non-entities is too. I mean, again, it's that idea of like, what's literally at stake? It's like Glenn Close and John C. Riley, both of whom have had a minute and a half of screen time. And they are literally the people, you know what I mean? Like you've got the Guardians being like, okay, this is a suicide run, but we've got to... We've got to protect the villagers because we're the Magnificent Seven. But you don't even care. There's nothing about the the Nova facility. Like they keep having to mention how great they are in the dialogue because that's how little they've dramatically shown it to us. Like it's, yeah. it's fascinating. It's it it continues to be this. Um, uh, it's this real in, intriguing hole. Uh, in I, and again, I feel like Marvel, like the Winter Soldier, is far better. I would say than it has any right to be in some ways. Um, and seeing it, and then seeing the Marvel slate announced, I had, I had, I had the feels, Graham. I had the feels because part of me. Is okay, like, yeah, okay. Tell me about the feels because I, I, my week has honestly been people telling me. Wow, Marvel's just kicked Warner's ass. No one's ever going to be the same after this. And right. me literally going, I don't understand. Yeah. Well, and I'm not going to be that person because I think that I, I find all of that. You and I have talked a little bit about sort of how weirdly interesting and sort of 
foreign to us, the idea that people are sort of taking the Marvel-DC rivalry into the realm of their film slates and also sort of their... It's crazy, right? But, I mean, it's have you seen some of the coverage of the Marvel announcement this week? Uh, no, there I, was a story. There was there have been mainstream news outlets that are right. honestly running stories, going, "Finally, someone has announced a woman in charge of a superhero movie." <laughs> and I'm like, I swear to God, Warner said this two weeks ago, and then yeah. Sony did it in the summer. Yeah, right. Like this is not a new thing, and people are like, "I can't believe no one's ever done this before." Right. And it's like, but they, did. I swear to God, they have. Yeah, they just did. Yeah. It's this weird, weird thing that's going on. Yeah. It, I, I've honestly, at this point, just put it down to people are excited because it's Marvel. And because they like, they've already decided they like Marvel. Right. Therefore, Marvel will always win. Yeah, I if think so. Fact, if the facts don't back that up, it doesn't matter. Marvel will win because we like Marvel. The end. Right. I'm fascinated. And that's like a Marvel versus DC thing. That's just like a, we like Marvel the brand. Because right. Marvel has successfully said, we are not just a movie studio we're a personality. We're a lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Buy into odds. Yes. And people are like, ah, I will. Right. You well, have my wallet. <laughs> yes. I love, I love that tweet or comment message that you repeated. I, I, I Hold on one second. Uh, okay. Uh, so let me ask you, Graham, because I am kind of fascinated. What do you think – came first the in in the sense of do you think that DC's stock announcement was their attempt to um beat Marvel's film slate to the punch or do you believe that Marvel's film slate was an after the fact um kind of like oh you know DC got this much response by doing it in a stockholder meeting let's try and appleize that and see and... Uh, I think it's both mm-hmm. I think that the Warner's uh, Warner CC film slate is definitely a response to what Marvel's been doing, mm-hmm. and I think that announcing out 2020 and announcing Wonder Woman and Cyborg mm-hmm. were an attempt to basically steal a march on Marvel because it's doing two things that Marvel had not announced. Right. Uh, I think the Marvel probably had, they definitely had had to have uh, Black Panther in process because they actually had the actor there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Captain Marvel, I suspect, might be in a rush. Mm-hmm. Uh, but nonetheless, I think Marvel has definitely been working on this for a while. I think that Marvel's announcement was definitely a reaction to the Warner Brothers thing, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because Marvel has never previously announced five years in, in advance. Yeah, never. That's just not what they do, right? Um, and so I think that was very clearly a oh shit, mm-hmm. we we have to get in front of this because right now we're looking behind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um and and it worked. People are now like, I can't believe Marvel's got the guts to make more superhero movies. This is the riskiest move I've ever seen. <laughs> I will say that there there's something looking at their film slate. It seems it's funny to me, and I could be wrong. I think maybe because there's kind of the Black Panther, Captain Marvel things on it. Like, I haven't looked at that slate really closely, but there's stuff that clearly seems kind of thrown together, and there's also stuff that's clearly done as a plan. Do you get that feeling as well? Like, I am kind of don't think that they were maybe thinking... The, the, one, the one I think is thrown together is Captain Marvel. Everything really? else seems maybe in humans, but I think they've been. I think in humans has clearly been in the work for a while, if only because of what they've been doing with the comic property for two years. Sure, right. Um, yeah, Captain Marvel is the one where I think that, that is a rush. 
Uh, and I think the giveaway for that is the fact that it's so far out, it's 2018, and there's nothing, they had nothing to say about it. You the know, only thing they had to say about it was, it's Carol Danvers. Right. Right. I like, think... Whereas you get to, like, you know, the two Avengers movies. Right. Which are later. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, we can talk about the plot. Yeah. And all they can say about Captain Marvel is, oh, it's Carol Danvers. Right. I I kind of feel God now I got to look it up Jesus Christ uh, Marvel I can tell you off the top of my head what it is um yeah I'm sure you can I, I I tragically I really can it's 2016 is uh, Captain America Civil War and Doctor Strange right 2017 is Guardians of the Galaxy two and then Thor three and then Black Panther 2018 is uh, Avengers Infinity War one. Mm-hmm. Captain Marvel and Inhumans, and then 2019 is Avengers Infinity War 2. Right. So, to me, and I could totally be wrong, because on the one hand, you see Ant-Man and Doctor Strange both getting the big screen treatment. But if someone had said to me that, like, four months before that... Doctor Strange, Black Panther, and Captain Marvel were all basically going to be – were kind of in the – like they were readying things as season two of their Netflix um, TV miniseries. Mm-hmm. I would have – I would have believed them. I would have – I would have found that a lot more. Some of this stuff really strikes me like they were – they were kind of like Guardians hit huge – and between that and Winter Soldier, we are very confident that we can release two movies a year and, and have them be big, like one new, one new character and one established, uh, property per year. Oh, um, they've been saying that for a while. And also 2017, they're going to three movies a year. Oh, Jesus. Right. Which is, which is kind of, you're right. That's right. Avenger, Avengers. Captain Marvel and Inhumans in 2018, and Guardians. Well, 2017 is, Gar- is Guardians, Guardians, two, Thor, Thor two, and, and Black Panther. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the part where all of a sudden I'm like, uh, from two to three is also where I'm like, I don't know. Well, also, plus the two Warner's movies, plus the Spider-Man movie. Oh yeah, so you're well, talking see, that's it. six, six big budget movies, yeah. and that's not even getting into Fox and what they're doing with X-Men and Fantastic Four. Somebody like you're, you're posted essentially that timeline. Eight. Yeah, yeah. Co- uh, Comics Alliance did that. Which was stunning to look at. Like, I literally... That looks like... That That looks terrifying to me. That That looks... That's like... And I should know, because I live in the middle of San Francisco, that looks like a bubble to me. That looks like a terrifying ready to burst bubble you know that is just... what i find fascinating is uh i i've been seeing a lot of people talking on twitter and being like okay well what warner what dc needs to do now is blah to respond to marvel mm-hmm. and what i just keep thinking is dc doesn't need to do anything because dc's not marvel right. like these films are being made by warner brothers right warner brothers can quite happily survive when the superhero bubble bursts yeah yeah marvel can't yeah well, yes. Like the fact that Marvel that. is not diversified more. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, when Cap- here's the thing. When Captain Marvel comes out, it mm-hmm. will be Marvel's 18th release. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 18. Yeah. In 18 movies, they're still doing superheroes. Yeah. And that also, that in 18 movies, they've finally got to a woman lead. Yes. Like, that's nuts to me. Because mm-hmm. there are other Marvel properties they can develop that aren't superheroes. Yes, but... 
and they will they will look into doing that. In fact, it is a shame. I think they should be doing that, as it sounds like you agree. They should be doing that in this film slate. You know, yeah, they, 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 should. they should be. If 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 I were in charge of Marvel, which I'm mm-hmm. not, obviously, which I never would be, mm-hmm. but if I knew I was in charge of Marvel and I'm going to three movies a year. Yeah. I keep two of the movies, the superhero movies, and I use the third movie to do something else. Yeah. Well, right. My thing is, is I would take some of the stuff that they that they introduced during their crazy during the crazy seventies, you know, era, and and use those sort of the same way that Marvel started front loading all these sort of superheroes, but really tied into. You know, kung fu movies, horror movies, black exploitation movies. Well, that's what they're doing with Netflix. That's what they're doing with television, which is which fascinates me. Television and Netflix are rather like, let's do the cheaper things, let's do the 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 other things. But the problem is, at some point, I don't even think superheroes is a bubble that will burst as much as superheroes are westerns, Mm -hmm. right? Do you know what I mean? And eventually, Westerns just finished. It wasn't a bubble that burst. It's just that it died out because it was oversaturated. Yeah. By 2020, I mean, poor Warner's, but Cyborg's going to die a death at the theater. Well, okay. I, I want to point out, and I could be wrong, that it's it's worth mentioning that Westerns died out in part because the Western was easily replicatable as a TV show. And so it took a long time of TV shows, but Gunsmoke was on the TV, the TV, was on TV for something like 15 seasons. It was you know what I mean? You, you, I know. You had things like Big Valley. You had like – it was very easy to be able to replicate the Western values once all you needed to do was, you know, drive your, your second unit out into the desert, you know, and, and, and shoot shit. You know, outside Pacoima or whatever. But I feel that, um, and, and if there's a change in effects or effects budget or what people will accept in TV, and TV budgets are generally going up, once TV is able to do superhero shows, you know, in a way that is attractive, like, in other words, if Cyborg dies a dog's death in 2020 or 2018 or whatever, it may well end up dying that way because of Flash and Arrow and and, and Gotham and the other, and D, in other words, DC TV might kill off DC movies. Yeah, and and uh, based upon the first few episodes of Flash, sure, I'm okay with that. <laughs> Do you mean that is in like you you're enjoying the Flash? I'm, I'm really enjoying the Flash. Okay, I'm enjoying Flash. More, I think I'm enjoying Flash more than any superhero movie I've seen in a long time. Okay, I've heard really good things about the show, um, and I, course, I'm really enjoying it. And it's very much. I think it's very much something that uh, if you like the comics, mm-hmm. you'll like it, which is really rare for a comic book TV show. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I need to. I need to check it out because Edie was not impressed. I. I've. We could talk about Gotham. Oh my goodness, we could talk about Gotham. Uh, oh, so you, yeah, talk to me about Gotham because I. I think I'm still relatively on board by the fourth episode. Maybe there's one episode where I was like, I want to throw my computer across the fucking room. Oh, which I, episode I hate was it so that? much? It's the uh, the episode which, which has the which has fish auditioning the singers and ends up with a cat fight. Okay, so it is the issue. It is the episode before the venom episode, right? Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, that, that episode, that episode, I was just, oh man, I was really like, this is, this is terrible. This is, this is, this is everything that everyone's been saying about the show, but twice as much. Oh yeah. It's, it's, it's this is everything wrong with the show. It's interesting because I do feel that the, the Venom episode, like, the writing took a marked jump in quality up. And suddenly it was like, oh, okay. They like it was almost like, oh, we're watching our, we've seen our show now, and we're finally able to lean into the stuff Did you that see we this think week's? works. Um, it, it, if it's the Venom episode, then yes. No, it's, it's, it's the one after that. No, it's the one I after that. Which, which for me, I thought was the strongest. Yeah. Um, in large part because it ends up kind of out of nowhere becoming a fearfully mystery. Mm, mm, that'd be great. And I was like, and also it has no fish. Fish is actually a problem for me, that whole plot in general. And so just oh. dumping her for an episode, I was like, hooray, sure. <laughs> Interesting. Why, uh, why is there any specific thing you can point to as to why it, uh, she doesn't work for you, I suppose? Uh, I'm not necessarily sure it's her as much as the whole crime family crime war mm. element. Uh, I mean, I've, I've problems with the portrayal of her, uh, and it's not, uh, Jada Pinkett Smith. It's, it's the writing. Mm -hmm. And I feel the writing is like a femme fatale. So that's someone who uses her sex appeal and is evil, right? That, Mm -hmm. that's what she does. The end. (laughs) Like the, 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 the episode I had such problems with is what I had such problems with was it was, Almost comedically, uh, objectifying women and explicitly objectifying, um, lesbians. Mm. Mm-hmm. So you had fish being like, seduce me to the woman. And then, right. then they're like, ah, and then the girls are having a cow fight. Mm-hmm. You guys, you get it. And meanwhile, you also have, um, uh, Barbara saying to Jim, I had a relationship with Montoya and he completely loses his shit. And she goes, it's because she's a woman, and at no point does he say no. I thought he says was, something I, – I thought he said something like, it's because you lied to me no, or whatever the fuck it no, was. No, he doesn't. Oh, interesting. That's the thing. Like, at no point does he say no. And, mm. you know, it's not. It's because she lied to him, and I think right. that's meant to be yeah. implicit. Right. But – But it tries to have it both ways. There's yeah, a lot of – there's a lot of – trying to have it both ways. In, yeah, and in it the show, really left a bad taste in my mouth because it was like, okay, so you're completely fine with making this gratuitous and then the one point you have to actually push back, mm-hmm. you completely just skip it. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, this is this like this is a bad this this is everything wrong. I, I hate this. And then the next the next episode I think was the Venom one. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh that's okay. And then this week's so I was like, oh it's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's kind of interesting. It's sort of like uh, it's 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 compelling. I'm still watching. Yes, exactly. It's compelling. It's very trashy watching. There are ways in which it is, um, like, it's comic. It, if nothing else, it's watchable in a in a in a comically inept kind of way. Like, I both I love the. There's something that's very, uh, as Edie pointed out, there's something innately comic booky in the way that they are handling the show. In a way that that comic booky is a little bit of a pejorative, but it kind of works. The the episode where they, with the guy who's like chaining the people to weather balloons and sending to the them balloons. Up into the I know. Yeah. What the fuck was that? I, 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 like 
there was so much that was kind of gaudy and over the top about it, but also just the fact that no police officer had no idea how a weather balloon has ever worked in the history of weather balloons was kind of great. Or like there's a, there's that one episode where all of a sudden the guy's like, I can't be bothered to look for that guy. I'm going to put out an APB. And he all but says, an all points bulletin. Like there's some amazingly hilarious. Audience. Do you know what an APB is? You probably don't. Let me explain. And it is awesome. So so there is a way in which I'm like, okay, I'm I'm watching it for the lulls. But there are also times where I'm like, the people who are good and or they're committed, if nothing else, there's a certain – there's a consistency in the tone, which considering the show itself, it can be kind of all over the map, is sort of impressive. Um, it's watchable. But I did – because we were something like three or four episodes behind uh, and right before we had to move every single fucking stick of furniture in our place, we were like, ah, we got, we've got some time off. What should we do? And we caught up on that. And then I was like, oh, boy, I can talk to Graham about how silly Gotham is. So I really think you might have been, like, using your time poorly. <laughs> Dude, a few hours. let's watch four episodes of Gotham. I like Gotham and I wouldn't do that. <laughs> Graham, what can I say? It's like, apart from playing the pinball on my iPad, for, it's for like, I, exactly. In the last two weeks, I've read Transformers, Secret Wars, watched four episodes of oh, Gotham. yeah, okay. Secret Wars, let's talk. Okay, so here's the problem. We don't have a lot of time. And also, we really don't. We've got like ten minutes. What we? What should we talk about? Because well, there's something else you want to talk about. I do. I do want to say that I think that um, that that uh, uh, Feral Dalrymple's The Wrenchies is one of the best books that I've read this year. Oh, I saw you say that on Twitter, and it actually made me think I should really read that. It has literally been on my bedside table oh. for three months now, two months, yes. and I've just like I read maybe five pages and was like, I'm really tired, and this looks like it's going to be very involved. I'll yes. read it later. Yeah, Graham, it's so funny because I had this thing where I put it down and I was like, why didn't Graham... Like, I kind of thought you had read it by now. And so no, I kind of had this weird, like, hmm, has he read it? Has he not? Well, let's... i tell you what. Let's, let's punt it down the field and talk about it next episode. If you promise to read it because i think you'll be it's if nothing else you're going to have a lot of to say and think about it because it's i think it's the book it's among the book of the year the best year's best books it's stunning it's kind of it out grant it i don't know if it out grant morrison's grant morrison but it's certainly everyone who's kind of like oh i sort of if only there was a way i could read multiversity and Annihilator at the same time. Like, the Wrenchies pretty much does that and then some. Um, it's hard It's hard to understate the Grant Morrison influence, but also it's it's a lot like reading... It's it's just, it's all over the place. It's got everything in it. The Wrenchies literally has if everything that you like, Graham, and maybe also a lot of things that you don't. So... You should read it. I think you'll love it, but there's a very good chance that you may actually be... <laughs> I think you'll love it, or you might hate it. Yeah, I mean, you're not going to just be lukewarmish on it. I think, honestly, you're going to put it down being like, that is indeed one of the best books of the year. It takes investment, because there's times where it is... It's um, kind of hard to read, sort of in the same way that The Filth, I thought, was hard to read. But mm -hmm. it is... 
stunning. It is a stunning book. It is it is absolutely amazing. Knowing that you're a Philip K. Dick fan, I think that you will absolutely like it a ton, especially if you like later Phil Dick, because it is it is it reminded me so strongly of particularly Divine Invasion and some of some of the later Dick stuff. It's 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 amazing. It's amazing. Okay, so I, I I will I will try and make a point of reading it. <laughs> yes, by next time. So now we can talk about Secret Wars, which is great because you and I can just sort of um, be like, yeah, what the fuck for like ten minutes? Because really, Graham, <laughs> yeah, Secret Wars, right? It's did you read it as a kid? I or did read have... it as a kid, and I was I I was because I was older than you. I was pretty much like. This is pretty much trash. So rereading it, part of me was like, yeah, this is pretty much still trash. In some ways, I liked it more as an adult than I did as a kid. Because as a kid, I was like, this is bullshit, you know? And rereading it, I was kind of like, oh, you know, there's a little bit of... I liked how shooters really sort of, in a half-assed way, he's... Trying, he he's very shrewdly trying to um, blur the lines between epic grandeur and literally a fucking toy commercial. You know what I mean? Like, I was I was really amused by how much everyone gets hideouts and forts, and how all the hideouts are enormous. And then Doctor, du- everyone's always jumping into like some new unexplained spaceship or tunneling machine or some piece of toy bubblery but like but shooter at the same time is also like this room's the size of the world trade center amazing you know and i kind of had that moment of like oh man like this was the first time that i was able to read secret wars and kind of imagine what you must have thought of it like when you were and this is the amazing thing about Jim Shooter. 80% of Secret Wars is clearly designed to be read by kids, and 20% of Secret Wars should never be read by kids. You know what I mean? <laughs> Are you talking about Zaji and the Chippy comments? The Zaji, Chippy. Uh, it's not just the. Ch- well, okay. There's the fact that Magneto and Jan have the world's grossest hookup. Um, it's also the fact that Jim Shooter has a conception of Colossus as he's a little bit like Romeo in Romeo and Juliet in the idea of like, Oh, he really, really is confused, confused his penis with his heart. Like it is so clearly the subtext of, Colossus and Saji is very much this idea that he is obsessed with her because she will put out, you know, is again kind of a creepy shooterism kind of. <laughs> the gym shooter story. Yeah, the gym shooter story. Exactly. There's other weird stuff. The stuff with the fact that he has Titania and Volcana in there and the way he characterizes those two women is fascinating as hell also cringeworthy but fascinating like that so there's and also i have to say isn't it amazing how much of secret war 
feels like a comic book that was written after watching Survivor, despite the fact that it was written <laughs> 20 years before Survivor. Like, they're all thrown on an island. There's rewards. There's a lot. Everyone's talking alliances all over the place for no reason whatsoever. I'm like, this is the most crazily prescient Survivor comic I've ever read. What, like, did Jim Shooter, in addition to clonking out, you know, the Transformers universe, also sit down and write up the Survivor universe and, like, or just did that the Survivor producers just grew up in uh, Secret Wars? I kind of actually would not be surprised if that was true. If that latter was true, if Mark Burnett in between like garroting guys and like educating rich kids or whatever the fuck his CV comes off as also was reading a shit ton of secret wars in the eighties, I would not be the least surprised, not be the least bit surprised, you know? So it's, it's, so you're, you're not a fan, is what you're saying. Well, dude, come on. Actually, Who can I be a fan? Like you are a fan, which is my favorite thing. See, this is the part that's scary. Like I said, when I read it, I'm like, this is garbage. But as an adult, I'm like, what fascinating trash this is. What the fuck is that? Is that a raccoon? Or is that somebody's, <laughs> like, seat cover? I cannot tell what is in this heaping, smoking pile of garbage. And it is a... Jim Shooter has no fear about of when it comes to a writing out of character and b talking about people's boners without saying the words people's boners. It's amazing. I, it I feel amazing. that is a very Jim Shooter thing, though. Oh yeah, well exactly. Part of it, part of why I had to read this was after reading your column. I'm like, you know, I've already put myself through all of Jim Shooter's Avengers. I've got the Star Brand sitting in the back that I will read someday. I might as well just buckle down and read Secret Wars again. Did I tell you my? Did I tell you my dream about Star Brand? No. That it launches you on a new universe, completest of of offensive. Yeah, yeah. That you decide after reading Star Brand that you have to read all of them. You're like. You know, I've heard good things about DP7, but maybe I should really check out Justice. See, this is the great thing, Graham. The two books. What about I... Spitfire and the Troubleshooters? Which, See, of course, became codenamed Spitfire. Codenamed like Spitfire. Issues after that. Yeah. Dude, I have bad news for you, Graham. You have all these books, I The two books that I read in college Justice and DP7. So. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Have them? Yeah, uh, no, I maybe uh, not really. No, because I think I think they were. It was one of those situations where, it's like me and my best friend in college, we go to the store, and it's that classic. Like, I read all his stuff. He read all my stuff. So yeah, I think he so was saying, the guy. He was the visionary that bought the. the he was. He was totally. He 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 picked up some stuff. There's a lot of stuff that I would not even be on top of when it comes to the 80s if he wasn't like West Coast Avengers. I think he was the one who was buying West Coast Avengers when I was reading it, but. Um, but yeah, no, I don't, you don't, sorry, Graham, that, that beautiful, beautiful dream that is pretty much like having a happy dream where I go to hell and I'm trapped there forever <laughs> is not going to happen. Hey, there's some great stuff in Justice, he potentially lies. <laughs> Dude, I read all of it and both know you're, there's not, and yes, there is. And DP7 is honestly is, a, it for people who like Mark Cornwall, people, people actually like DP7, like, yeah. Not even ironically, people think DP Seven is a good. Book. It is. It's good stuff. It is. It is. All, actually, all I remember it's, it's about Justice is that it had the like complete rejection of the series premise, like nine issues in. Yeah, and that might that might be when Peter David steps in. I think it is. Is it Peter? Uh, I want to say Carrie Bates and Keith Giffen are on it. Maybe. 
I don't remember who starts out David, on it. It's definitely David. when Peter David comes in is when he's like, he's not really an alien. He's nuts. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So. Uh, Which is bold. <laughs> you know, I, I, but I also kind of get it. I kind of get it because again, well, that it was, was a, that, weird that was the second wave of um, the new universe where they're like, actually, we went a bit far. Yeah, let's exactly. pull it back. Yeah, let's pull it back, which I think is kind of funny that they were like, oh, let's make it a more, a little more new universier, you know. Um, and, uh, so yeah, there's actually, so I there is part of me where I'm like, I, I'll be honest, if the entire run of. Kickers Incorporated or Spitfire and the Troubleshooters was on Marvel Unlimited. I I would I would probably oh I would if all that stuff was on Marvel Unlimited I would read it in a second. Yeah, yeah. In you know my obsession with like basically flawed series, I would be right on there. Yeah, yeah. No, I know exactly. Unfortunately, I feel like I've picked up that obsession much to my detriment. So um, yeah, join us. Join us, <laughs> so, uh, Graham McMillan, there is a thing that we have to do that is very important. <laughs> there is? <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. Graham, you are the worst. Uh, I am. What, what is it? That I really have no idea what you're talking about. We we have to thank our Patreon supporters who, who have uh, given – and given freely and generously, and now have reached the point to where we told them if they gave a certain amount, we would thank them on air. And it's time to thank them on air. Okay. I hope you've got that list. <laughs> oh, my God, Graham. Okay. Yes, I do. Didn't you see the... Oh, Graham, no. Yeah, I've tried to find it right now, completely failing, which is the problem. Okay. So, anyway, let me start by thanking... Yeah, we please. thanked him before... Because... I'm going to thank uh, Chris Peterson yet again. Uh, Chris Peterson, who is the the proud owner of a Wait What tote bag, and just recently told us on Twitter that not only can you fit a shit ton of comic books in it, but he actually took it to the grocery store and brought back food. Yes, that's right. He was able to avoid starvation thanks to us. And in turn... <laughs> that's ex- that's exactly what he was able to avoid. I finally found the list, by the way. We were able to <laughs> avoid... Oh, good. We were able to avoid starving thanks to him. So thanks, Chris Peterson. should also thank uh, Chris Tanferan. Um, I, I'm not going to actually shame all of you people by saying everything about each one of you, but... Um, uh, no, but, I, I, th- I think you should. But... <laughs> Listeners, a new contest. <laughs> Graham McMillan, worst human being or worst human being ever? Write to me directly and I'll send you all my comics. <laughs> all of them. Oh my god. People, you should definitely call Jeff on that bluff. Yeah, because I've got a lot of comics. Jeff just asked to give away all his comics. Yeah. And all you have to do is write and tell him whether I'm the worst human being or the worst human being ever. And also, people, Hitler. So I think you know the answer to that question. <laughs> Chris Tanfran, thank you for not being Graham McMillan. Timothy Riffenberg, <laughs> also thank you for not being Graham McMillan. Leif Smith, owner and proprietor of Mission Comics and Art, who is a Yay! great human being and awesome. Thank you so much. Scott Ashworth and Stephen Williamson, you guys are both great. Stephen, of course, I, I owe big ups to um, for providing me with digital comics uh, during my long Marvel boycott. Thank you to Jeffrey Lang and John Kipling. Um, both of you are awesome, and one of you I may be related to. 
Um, Rob what? G. What? No, I... no, 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 no. Go back there. You may be related to one of them. Yes. So, Rob G. I'm... and Dan Billy. <laughs> I'm very confused now. Okay, we'll talk about this off air, Jeff. Yes. Uh, Rob G., sorry I can't say your name. I met, I texted you on Patreon and never heard back about the right way to say your last name. Um, Dan Billings, who I follow on Twitter uh, and who is awesome. Ford Thomas and, of course, the, the miracle that is Derek Moreland, who has been great and who many people may still remember as having a phenomenal Can You Feel the Feeling That I'm Feeling entry from last episode. And Steve Kushner. You guys are all super primo awesome. Um, I am. We are incredibly honored and privileged to be supported by you on Patreon, along with the, in total, I think it's up to, well, wait, I need to check. I thought it was 83 people, but maybe I'm uh, I I want to say that. it might be 84, but I, I think, might be. No, it's yeah, 83. It is 83, people. which is interesting. So, yeah, thanks to the 83 people who are supporting us. It is incredibly, incredibly great. Um, and we, uh, we owe you so much. Um, and in turn, we'll continue cranking out, um, podcasts to, uh, please and assault your ears, um, in alteration, alternation. Hopefully pleasing. Yeah. That's Let's what we're shooting more for. for pleasing. Yeah. We'll see that. Uh, I also want to, yes. I was say, I also want to say thank you to people who have been upping their Patreon, uh, donations, which has been remarkably kind and thrilling and and unbelievable and Mm -hmm. and a bunch of you have done that recently and and thank you very much yeah we are super pleased i know that some of you are trying to get us toward that golden point where we start um, producing an extra podcast every month which we'll do when we cross the 500 dollars per month rubicon hopefully some of you are doing it because you're like my goodness graham and jeff are just giving me so much quality stuff and let's face it their their giveaways are ridiculously awesome too um that that i would just i just want to give them just a little bit more we are we are incredibly it encourages us which hopefully is the goal if it's trying to discourage us it's probably it's that's i don't think that's exactly if you want to discourage us by giving us money I have some bad news to tell you. <laughs> exactly. It might not be working. Yes, um, but keep but trying yes. it. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Try harder. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe something will happen. Who knows? Um, yeah, if we hit the $500 uh, a month mark, then we are going to go to uh, three podcasts a month. That's right. That's right. Uh, and there there are, shall we say discussions? Shall we say plans? How firm do you want to be about our possibility of what to do with the third podcast well it's kind of i i think we should just yeah i think we should we should just say it outright uh um, which which is to say that uh take it graham (laughs) (laughs) Uh, our third podcast every month is going to be an all singing episode where jeff will uh, perform the show tunes of your choice oh man that would be great but as the muppet of my choice so I think that's only fair. Uh, well, apart from every third episode, you are going to be Dick Van Dyke. Oh yeah, that would be great. Um, and more seriously, we are we have been, as you know, throughout the year doing the Avengers um, the, from issues one to issue three hundred. Yes, uh, throughout twenty fourteen, and we are almost done. Kind of, I mean, yeah, we are. We, yeah, we're yeah. yeah, we've only got fifty issues to go, which is. I, I don't know how to feel about that. I thought that the other day. I was like, holy crap, we're really close. 
Yeah, we're really especially because we do them twenty five issues at a time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, every other um, episode. But anyway, the the Avengers rereads are going to go into the third episode if we reach the the five hundred dollar mark before the end of the year, and if we don't and we reach it next year, we might be rereading something else. Yes, wow! Just, you just, you still are being yeah. Just you know, gonna put that out there. Yeah. Well, I, I we discussed, but I can't remember if we actually firmly decided. Did I we? Thought we? I thought we did. I thought we did. Although, okay, you tell me what we firmly decided because I want to ensure that I don't say the wrong comic and then oh, great, lock us into something. Yeah. yeah. So, listeners, our plans for 2015 are to discuss 400 issues of the Fantastic Four. And if we had a third podcast, we would devote that exclusively to the, the, the Fantastic Four reread. So for some, those I, of you who really also, dig that part, yes? Mm-hmm. I also want to say it would actually be 416 issues. Oh, yeah? Because otherwise we would be ending 16 issues before the end of the series. Oh, so I guess we kind of would have to do it. We really should have to do 416. Although, let me tell you, Graham, this is something that I noticed. Like, people, if you've tuned in to waitwhatpodcast.com, you do know that Graham and I, we post uh, content every week. Although I think I'm still like two entries behind. Graham, still on top of his game, but here's Graham's Only secret. just, because last week, holy shit. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Graham, whenever he's in a pinch, will write about the Fantastic Four. We've had this- Oh, is that true? We, oh, yeah. You've written about the Fantastic Four like four times, five times since we've had this website? It's amazing. Oh, man. You've that's, written well, about- That's true, because I did, I did the Matt Fraction uh, yeah. Fantastic Four run, anti-CFF run, and I just did one about the- Mm-hmm. Everything Mark Wade forward. Yes. Have yeah. I done more? I, I want to say there's at least one more entry, but maybe that's not it. Oh, maybe man. there's only three entries. So, But here's the thing. So I'm rereading the Wade Fantastic Four right now mm-hmm. and realizing how much I just adore these characters. Like, I think this is my favorite Marvel series. Oh, interesting. Wait. Uh, yeah. That Okay. Yeah. This is your favorite. Fantastic Four is your favorite Marvel series. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I And the crazy thing is, I don't own any Fantastic Four comics. Really? Wow. None. That's amazing. Not a one. <laughs> That's not true. I have uh, uh, I have for Marvel Masterworks of the 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 fifty one through sixty. Yes. Yeah, that's that, But that's, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. But that's it. I don't own anything beyond that. Fascinating. Oh, did you also talk right about the Tom DeFalco issues, or was that back on the second? No, I've critic? just talked to you many times. Oh, about okay, Tom okay. Issues. I'm so, not yeah, yeah, yeah. so um, yeah. So I might everyone. have written about the Tom DeFalco Thor issues. That might be what you're thinking about. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. A surprising choice for me. So everyone, yeah, this is this is your opportunity. I have to say that actually in the comments, um. Jeez, let me see if I can find it. I think it. I think it is frequent commenter uh, Neil Capit. Capit, K A P I T. I hope it's. Hope you don't mind that I screwed up your name, Neil. Uh, I always Neil thought Capit. it was Neil Caput. Caput, but with a U. I mean, it's got an I in there. Anyway, he does a fabulous job replying to our Hank Pym discussion by talking about how Denny O'Neill handles Tony Stark's. Uh, alcoholism and breakdown and contrast that with the Hank Pym ones. And oh my God, he did it in such a way that I really, really want to read those issues now. So, so yeah. We're so what doing... you're saying is should we do Iron Man after Fantastic Four or do you want to do Iron Man first? 
I think because I've, I've there's so many Iron Man issues I've never read. Oh man, I I think I really want to read the Fantastic Four issues. Frankly, although I think that I think that I could be wrong. I think it in some ways I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that although the comics are of generally better than the event than the 300 issues of Avengers that we've read, it's actually going to be more of a slog in part because oh, there's 400. It, it's going of to be them. horrible. Yeah. yeah. It's going to be um, horrible because there's like a hundred issues between Kirby and burn that are just terrible. No, no, no. See, I knew you would say that. I knew you would say that. And I have to disagree. I have to disagree because that. Those oh, are the I, stuff that wait, I wait, wait until you reread them, Jeff. Yeah, whatever. No, because I, I also thought, no, there's some great stuff in there, and then I reread it. You know, there's how do I put it? It's a, it's a, it's a glass half full, half empty approach. Let's put it that way. Some of the there's some there's some great stuff there, but it's never far away from the terrible stuff, which is usually on the next page, or sometimes even the same page. <laughs> but, but there's also the problem that it's it's coming after Lee and Kirby. Like, well, it's yes. so so high mm-hmm. that everything after that just seems a little bit worse. I, see, I, agreed. I think that apart from the absolutely amazing like resuscitation by John Byrne and maybe even a little bit in there, there is so much of the Fantastic Four that is a combination of greatest hits and shit. What do we do? Oh, let's swerve X without paying attention to everyone else who swerved X before them. That yes, I you're you're completely right. Yeah, that I I think that we are we're it. What's going to be interesting to me is kind of seeing what kind of comes out of kind of dealing with that sort of level of potential monotony i think so in a way part of me is like even though that i know that iron man there is some shitty 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 stuff in iron man part of me is like oh yeah but it would be great to read it because at least it will be different or stuff with the hulk where there's like it's having read right up to you know at least where he gets his own title and then stopping before trimpy really kicks in and engelhart and all that stuff um you know, how do I put it? It's just kind of that thing of like the Fantastic Four. I'm generally going to say now, at least there's going to be sort of a high quality, but we're just 400 issues of that is going to be kind of mind boggling. So, but hey, I can't get you to read Ghost Rider with me because <laughs> because you can't. I, what's that? It. I literally could not. I literally, that would have to be, if we're making $4,000 a month, maybe Graham will consider it. Maybe. So. Yeah. Good luck with that. Yeah. See. (laughs) Um, Ladies and gentlemen, we are horrifically overrunning. And the reason this is more of a problem this week than normal is because it is Jeff Lester's birthday tomorrow as we record. The October 31st is the, um, the anniversary of the birth of Mr. Jeffrey Lester. Alan. I was going to give you a comedy name in the middle, and then I thought, no, it's your birthday. Why sweet. would I do that? That would be mean. Look at you. Um, I just, it, it, my almost restraint 
yes. my going to be a tick, then pulling it back at the last moment restraint. I, I um, appreciate it. But yeah, yeah but J- Jeff has a, a birthday dinner, an early birthday dinner that he's going to, so we actually really can't overrun. Yeah, unfortunately that is the case. So, But everyone, we hope you have a great Halloween. Uh, thank you for listening. Again, normally this is where we run through all the places that you can find us. I hope you don't mind if uh, I skip that apart from, again, thanking the 83 people who support us uh, on Patreon. Um, feel free to check us out, waitwhatpodcast.com. Go for the show notes. Stay for the amazing writing that Graham is doing. And we will see you and next time. Amazing writing you're doing as well, Jeff Lester. Oh, thank you. Um, do you want to sing us out? <laughs>